if someone from Dublin does it, he actually doesn't. He's not telling it. Ah, this is culture bias. This is bias against culture. Yeah, already. but so we can't say it, but you can say it. Yes. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Very good morning, welcome along to Friday morning's O2BM, it's the 26th of May, we're with you until 10 o'clock as per usual this morning, O2BM with Gillette Labs, get the ultimate shave or your money back, Neon Night Edition available now. It doesn't feel like Friday because Adrian Barry is no longer beside me, but we have a stacked studio, let me tell you something. Cork's Colin Bibby, good morning. Morning, Shane. Uh, oh my god Mayo's Cameron Hill Good morning mate Good morning Mayo Cameron Yeah thanks Mayo Great And go is Johnny Ward Morning Shane How are things How are you keeping lads Country well represented here isn't it Yeah It's kind of a real spread Well it's very I was going to say it's very west There's two lads in the west Um, No Leinster representation No uh, I think Given the events last weekend Maybe they didn't want to come on It's for the better We had yeah. to separate the Galway and Mayo lads Across the room as well We couldn't put them beside each other uh, We've we've gone to We went to the league final together So um, Oh okay we, Yeah We had yeah, uh, we, we don't We both don't like Ross Common So the enemy of my enemy Is my friend Yeah the the day. So you so know It works in, in Connacht yeah, well, Everyone what, hits Mayo don't they Depends on what part of In Galway It kind of depends on whether You're near the Galway Or the Ross Common border um, I've I've always uh Generally, um, if Mayo win All Ireland, I want them to win because I think Mayo, Mayo, right. I think Mayo people are sound. Yeah. yeah, if Mayo are playing All Ireland, you want them to win. See, Gal- like I, I grew up with Galway winning a couple of All Ireland, so like um, you wouldn't begrudge them that sort of way. Backhanded you know? compliment there. No, but do you know what I mean. It's not like Mayo, like the the, the success of Connacht teams in the All Ireland series is appallingly bad. Like no team other than Galway has won the All Ireland since Mayo in '51, was it? Yeah. Like, like that's that's incredibly bad. We, we've at the moment we've three of the best teams in in the national league. Like we'd first, second, and third in the national league. Yeah, Galway and Mayo are definitely all Ireland contenders. But like Mayo, I mean Mayo people. In fairness, they they're they're a bit mad. Like because when you when you want something for so long, it's like chasing somebody and thinking that it's going to happen and still thinking that it's going to happen it. yeah. and then. Thinking that it's going to happen, and then thinking it's going to happen. But Mayo people like if football is like, it's a bit like Monaghan obsession to an extent. Like, yeah. like similar enough populations punch above their weight, um, but just haven't won. Monaghan and Monaghan and Roscommon or Monaghan? Mayo. And, and we, we have a much smaller population than Mayo. Sorry, Roscommon and sorry, Roscommon and Monaghan have a similar population. Yeah, of Mayo have a bigger population, um, but they haven't won it. And I, I generally would like them to win All Ireland because. Just, just so they can get, 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 just get it over with at this stage because it's been, uh, it's been hard going to the well so often. But most people in Galway might disagree. Right, fair. That's fair. Uh, loads still happening in the world of sport. Eddie Dunbar still turning up in the Giro d'Italia. The Celtics beat the Heat last night to take the series to a game six at least in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, game six will be Saturday night in Miami, so that's to, for the right to play the Denver Nuggets in the championship game. Uh, but lads, Old Trafford last night, I suppose. Manchester United four, Chelsea one. Champions League football secured for Manchester United for next season means Liverpool will not be in the Champions League next season. Um, Mo Salah wasn't happy. No, he put up a that was an interesting statement on, yeah. on his social media accounts, didn't he? What do we read into that? I think he wants to take a leadership role. Yeah, because he's committed to Liverpool last summer, signed a big long-term contract. 
Shane was, uh, you were cynically suggesting yeah. that his agent suggested um, to him, Mo, yeah, coaching full-time here, they're, United are going to win. So for people who haven't seen it, I mean, it's a photo of the back of Salah's jersey, him and during a match, looking a bit sad, and it's he's put the filter on it for, <laughs> for grey. So he's morning, put, morning, the last <laughs> of Champions morning, League football. Morning onto it. Uh, he said, I'm totally devastated, there's absolutely no excuse for this. We had everything we needed to make it to next year's Champions League, and we failed. We are Liverpool, and qualifying to the competition is the bare minimum. I'm sorry, but it's too soon for an uplifting or optimistic post. We let you and ourselves down. That was at 10.07pm last night, so just after uh, action had finished at Old Trafford. It only took him an entire yeah. season to take the initiative there. Good for him. The up to Joe, <laughs> the up to Joe stat, best oh, minutes per goal or assist rates among Premier League uh, players this season in all competitions. Um, 65 Erling Haaland, 93 Salah, 97 Evan Ferguson. Um, I was actually surprised that Salah has been involved in a goal or assist only once every 93 minutes. And that you want us to talk about Evan Ferguson? Is that, yeah, is that what you're saying here? This is great. Oh, no. We leave Ferguson out of this, but okay. but uh, 90, you know he, he had a kind of a patchy season till as well. His pace is just slightly gone as well. So maybe he maybe he feels himself that like he he didn't have his best season for sure. But uh, it was it was an interesting. I don't know if he's a serial tweeter, but there was a lot packed into that tweet. Mm. A lot going on, a lot going on. Um, Definitely felt strategic. Mm. Actually, Salah's a bit like Harry Kane this season in that they've both been excellent individually. Yeah, statistically, a lot of goals. And the teams have uh, underperformed massively. I really enjoyed last night's game again, a bit like um, Brighton Man City the night before. Yeah, uh, well, Brighton Man City was a better game, wasn't it? Quality won 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, someone tweeted last night that it was the worst quality end to end game they've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there were so many chances, and like, you know, I was saying beforehand, he, Frank Lampard said all season long, you know, we're creating chances, mm. we're just not finishing them, we're not clinical enough. And to be fair, he had a point last night in the first half. Mudrick missed the sitter after less than three minutes. Havertz missed one as well. Havertz missed the header. And Conor Gallagher right in the stroke of half time the goal. pulled his shot wide. When you're the manager though, like score. people people are missing chances partly because you're the manager because the collective think, lack of belief. Absolutely, like bringing a new manager, missing a chance is down to a manager. It, it, it's not. It's part of the whole thing. Like look at look at the confidence. The finishing is a skill. There's it almost is. this idea that oh, we created loads of chances, so we're actually okay. Well. Did you score them? Look at the body language of Havertz and Mudrick. Like, d- d- you can almost see they're not going to score when they're in front. Really good chances, you mentioned, the first half. Like, bringing in Lampard was one of the most stupid things you, you could ever do in management. It made no sense, and now it's spect- spectacularly backfired. I wouldn't have thought it would have gone this yeah, bad. But. He's lost eight of his ten games But for Tuchel, so they'd be relegated, practically. Like. Yeah. Do you know well, what I mean? I mean they're w- three points. If, if Forrest win their last game, <laughs> they're three points above Forrest. <laughs> yeah. And Chelsea lose. Like, it's incredibly yeah. bad. Forrest is one of the two sides that he didn't lose against. That was a draw. Yeah. Oh, two odd at home, Stamford Bridge, and the other one. Does anyone remember it? A few weeks ago, three one away to Bournemouth. Mm. Right. Which I think Bournemouth were the leading that, uh, or the equaliser at the very least. But yeah, like Johnny makes a good point. Like when they brought in Frank Lampard, presumably it was for a bounce club legend. He did okay the first time around at the start of his tenure. So it's like maybe club. we'll get a bit of that. He's what been away club, a bit. The club legend thing is absolutely but irrelevant. But it was like, what was the point of losing Graham Potter for this? Because mm. I don't think Potter was ever going to go on an eight out of ten game losing streak. Mm. So they're twelfth in the league. It's by far Sky Sports threw up a graphic last night. It's by far the fewest number of Premier League goals they've scored right. in the tournament's history. Mm. 
It's I been saw. a disaster. And considering all the talent that they have in abundance in that squad. Afterwards, Lampard had a very honest interview as it was sold on Sky Sports social media feeds. Five and a half minutes with Patrick <laughs> Davison. And I, you know, before I watched it, I was thinking, like, I have a fair idea of what he's going to say here. No, and seriously. it was bang on for five and a half. And no, he's, he's so conscious of do, doing that yeah, now. Does, um, that does Frank Lampard have a magic wand where he can solve all this? <laughs> well, no. he was, because um, he did make that point, point that they did yeah. once again create a lot of chances and they're not finishing them. Did 60% but then he did possession it. in the game. That's it. I did see a friend of the show, Yasmin Baba, having a great laugh and putting up the statistics, mm. um, saying this is the most Chelsea of Frank Lampard Chelsea games ever in terms of stats they had 62% possession their expected goals was uh, 1.34 and they didn't score and United's was like (laughs) 0.25 yeah yeah like he was on about um, in that post-match interview saying like you know people are on to me about playing a back five and they criticise me for that but I can play a back five a back four a midfield three Mm. a front two it doesn't matter if the players aren't committed yeah. and then he went back to the players in the middle section of the interview saying like the commitment's just not there in training the application isn't and there's only so much I can do as a result of that in other words I'm not capable of doing anything yeah either. surely that is definitely something yeah. you can control that's, is their that, commitment that's literally training. your job like, what's mm. the future for Lampard is he managing next season uh, anywhere surely does not. anyone want him well, not, obviously at any level league. not in the Premier League uh, there are a lot of idiots out there though like I mean this this was a stupid <laughs> stupid appointment and if Chelsea are that stupid there have to be a lot of other stupid clubs like do, do you all reckon that he actually is a useless manager or is there something in him at all I, I think if he wasn't Frank Lampard he wouldn't be getting any of these jobs same with Gerrard like, like Gerard, look at Gerrard at Villa this season like appalling record until you know they change the manager Emery comes in and like they won the Scottish Premiership well, with Everton, he, he did keep them up last season when they were in trouble of yeah, going down. he did. With Derby, he got them to a playoff final. Now, I've said that before, and I've had loads of people saying that Derby squad was incredibly talented, mm-hmm. and the very least they should have got mm-hmm. was a playoff final. You have to give the manager some credit, though. And at Ch- Chelsea at the start, he was okay. He did okay for a, a while at Chelsea, and then it all went wrong. So, if you look at his record coldly, like and take away the reputation of Lampard, he's not totally terrible, Right. I'd like to it's see him as a scout. Like. I'd like to see him as a scout because the, mm. the the line he always puts out is clearly these players aren't good enough and the players I've been saddled with like the Germans. Yeah, go the, find the players. <laughs> the Germans TM that he would always refer to in his first into Chelsea. So maybe he could un- unearth some other gems like Mason Mount. Maybe that's his thing that he actually knows where all the good players are. He's just kind of keeping it close to his chest. Yeah. It's hard to know because he was, he was a pretty instinctive player. Like that was, mm. His whole thing was arriving into the box. Like he wasn't a, a midfielder who would control the game. Yeah. Like John Giles mm. said that about him plenty of times over the years and funny enough said the same thing about Gerrard that mm. they weren't typical mm. midfield players in the way he would consider a central midfield player to be. But Lampard was incredibly effective yeah, arriving late in the box. Both of flushes as managers really already like at this stage. Like, but that's what la- I mean that their playing style correlates with their management yeah. style which is um, like you're relying on inspiration mm. and you can't control it because you're on the sideline. So where does that leave you? A lot of people in the comments having their say on Lampard as well. Brian says, Lampard took a job nobody else would take. In fairness, the Mudrick transfer will go down as one of the worst big money moves ever. The players aren't fit because of Potter. Mudrick is, Mudrick is, very, Mudrick is a good. very good player. Like. Jeez, you can imagine him like ripping it up under a new did manager. Did you see like. the pace of yeah. the second half? He's when he, very quick. Like, Mudrick is a seriously good player. Like That chance in the first half. Like When he came on against Arsenal, he did well. Um, he his debut against Liverpool at Anfield. Yeah. It was a nil-all draw and he was yeah. very impressive. Yeah, he was very good. But your point there, when he missed the sitter after three minutes and you putting it down to his lack of confidence presumably under the leadership of Lampard but, but it was like, the same with Potter he, yeah. was, he was like that he was very yeah. uncertain of himself mm. yeah but that's the manager's job though do you know what I mean good man managers get the best out of their players like Lampard is clearly not a good manager at all 
Mm. Uh, you know, I would have done a better job in that time than Lampard. Like, like no, nobody could have done worse. Like nobody could. Well, you literally lads, just do your jobs. Do your jobs and like play, job. you've a lot of potential here. You've a lot of quality. Score a couple of goals. Don't be terrible. They've been absolutely awful. They look like at uh, the start of the second half, United had a load of chances to make it three 0 yeah. early on. Like Bruno Fernandes hit the woodwork. And it really looked like they gave up Chelsea at that yeah, point. They yeah. kind of came back into it at the end. Like, Joe Felix scored a lovely goal, like an individual goal. And like a player that Lampard's pretty much completely cast aside, he looks a step above everyone else. Mm. But you've seen so little of him. Mm. And like a point was made in commentary, I think it was Gary Neville said it, it's like, <laughs> like they have a million players and he's one of the players that they definitely won't have next season because they don't have an option on him. <laughs> unless they go back to Atletico and say, OK, we'll actually try and buy him. And you'd yeah. almost be building a team around him. Yeah, he's one of the players they need. Uh, yeah, because when you look at the bench that they had that last night, like there's so much talent in the squad. But I don't know how Lampard can manage. I'd say he's well, it doesn't matter now. He's he gone. He's gone. Yeah. He's, he's had the gap. Uh, Casemiro, I thought was pulling the strings. Got player of the match. Yeah, night. he was very decent. Uh, Marcus Rashford, thirty goals this season. Someone was commented. Fergus Kio, Mo Salah, thirty goals, fifteen assists equals per season. Marcus Rashford, thirty goals, eleven assists equals great. I don't season. think we said Salah had a poor oh, season. He had a poor no, season. No, he's not, he's not. He's not at the level he. And Rashford's season has certainly tapered. Downwards a little yeah. bit towards the, the second half of the season, but we came out with yeah. a bang. Like it's a bit like Arsenal. It was like people are criticizing Arsenal for yeah. finishing second, but they okay, were so yeah. good for so Sorry, long. I, I have to pick up on that. I'm, I've been very frustrated with that kind of discussion around Arsenal. Hey, you brought this up. Go on. Yeah, yeah. this idea. So um, the now deferred fire pit until next week. We were going to talk about bottling and what what is the definition of bottling. And something that's really, really annoyed me is the notion that Arsenal bottled this season. They didn't at all. Like, you have to look at this season as an anomaly, like an aberration. I, I know John Hartson was saying that, you know, it's it's not a 30-game season, it's a 38-game season, and Arsenal are going to have to buckle up. And it wasn't a 38-game season. You had the deferred matches because of um, Queen Elizabeth's death, that compounded a lot of fixtures towards the end of the year. There was also a shortened pre-season. The season started at the start of August. And we had the small matter of a bloody World Cup mid-season. Like, this has been a crazy season. But Manchester City had to deal with all that too. Yeah, but we've all talked about how big Manchester City squad is and how they can pretty much change everybody except the goalkeeper and still beat everybody within the league. Whereas everybody else has to contend with the same squad depth issues they all look wrecked. All the teams look absolutely out on their feet at this stage. And that's why I feel like things have kind of petered out before the final day, is that everyone is really tired. They just want the season to end. The figuratively and spiritually, they're all on the beach. Um, and we've talked about this before. Like It's been a topic that's come up time and time again over the last couple of years. And strangely, this year of all years has been the year it hasn't been touched on, is that there's so many games for players, so many right now. There's so much football to play. You had a World Cup midway through. You throw that on top. It wasn't a normal season. And yet, everybody's talking about, well, Arsenal kind of threw that away, didn't they? I, I, yeah, the I, I, I would. I think that's pretty much bang on. Like I would agree with a lot of that. But you have to say... West Ham away and Southampton at home. Yeah, they did throw those that. away. Yeah. They did throw those games sure, away. Sure, yeah, yeah. But three one down against Southampton and got two goals back. But like in West Ham, Bukayo Saka missed the penalty, yeah. right? And, and that, Liverpool game. And then well. West Ham went down and scored. Yeah, Liverpool look at Anfield is a, is a decent point. Mm. Overall, Just the nature of it, but maybe. the nature of it yeah. totally. They've had a phenomenal season. Like, they were brilliant season. Eighty one points from thirty seven. Lost six games. Like taking on a team that's really you know has been able to do whatever it wants in terms of getting whatever players it wants and is. 
you know, the best Premier League team ever, probably. Mm. Um, th- and they're a clear, clear second. Like, th- this issue of bottling, I'd agree with Cameron. I think it's complete nonsense. Like, mm. And players probably are getting very, very tired as oh, well. Oh, like, you see, like, someone as cut and thrust and swashbuckling as Brighton, mm. they've looked wrecked. Mm. Yeah. And they've had to pick their games. Like, in a normal year... players is absolutely absurd. Like, it's absolutely yeah, absurd. Yeah, completely. And this idea of, well, the 5-1 against Everton was a really good win for Everton. No, it was Brighton looking out on their feet. Mm. Like, let's be real about that. And the world, but are we given a are we given a team a pass every time they lose because they're tired if we like them? Whereas the Frank Lampard's Chelsea lose, it's because of him. No, because Frank Lampard, as we've discussed, has probably as close to a Manchester City type squad as anyone could have in terms of the quality that's already on the bench. They're just really poorly managed. But I don't think there's any other team really that has that level of depth that City have across the board. It's impossible to keep up with that. Emma Carroll Carroll making the point everyone said Liverpool bottled the league too and they got 97 points and lost on the final day by a point City just going crazy runs yeah I agree I think the word bottled is thrown around too often but it's probably a case of Arsenal bottled a little period of those three few games they They didn't bottle the season they were 11 points clear in January yeah, you know I mean, like it was, it was Kevin King of Newcastle yeah. in 1996. Like, it wasn't. You could look at it that way if you want to be real talk about it. The, I think the problem is, um, like the West Ham and Southampton games. It's I suppose it goes to like the short termism in football punditry, and we're all guilty of it. But also, it's because of Johnny said this all the time. It's like players have to play every three days. It's an insane schedule, yeah. and as a result, we're all reacting to game by game. Mm. But if they had drawn with Southampton, or Southampton and the West Ham game, if they happened, say, one in September and another in December, no one would talk about them at all. Here's, and here's it would be the, the same stats. impact on the points. But, but, if if yeah. Arsenal had won either of the games against Man City, they're level, right? Mm-hmm. If they'd won either, and in both games, they were comfortably inferior. Like yeah. They were yeah, so yeah, inferior. That's so, like, yeah, that's, the, that's the bottom line. Better team won, won the title. Finishing exactly. second in the league is a massive achievement. Absolutely. For yeah. Totally. And the West Ham and Southampton games were inconsistent performances, if anything. Like, there were periods of that game against West Ham where Arsenal were just irresistible. Mm. And that's the problem with the pressure and the amount of games you're playing is mm. that it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in your energy levels. Sometimes it's your sharpness. And I think some of the goals that Arsenal conceded in those two games were down to a lack of focus. Like there were goals that, you know, teams wouldn't concede if they were like completely in the zone. Mm. Do you know? People have so, their thoughts yeah. and comments on this one as well. Um, yeah, bottled is a, is a bit of a strong word, isn't it? I also had a discussion with a couple of my housemates last night about... Um, and it's a hypothetical. Uh, say United, Manchester United win the FA Cup final, which is a massive if against Man City. So say United finish top four, which they will, win the League Cup, which they have, and win the FA Cup. So that's two trophies in the top four. Is that a better season than Arsenal, who have no trophies but were involved in a title race, so their fans got to enjoy the whole season, enjoy the, the, the I guess, excitement of being in a title battle, albeit they don't have a trophy to show for it, but which season do you prefer? Uh, if you look, I think if you look back in five years' time, both, you'd probably <coughs> go Arsenal because they remember how they overachieved for three quarters of the season. I think traditionally fans would prefer the trophies, like mm. they'd love to win a trophy, mm. but nowadays like the importance of the Champions League almost overrides every trophy bar the Premier League title. Mm. So it's more important for a club like Newcastle, you could argue, have nearly had as good a season as Manchester United despite losing the League Cup final to them yeah, yeah. and not getting into the FA Cup <clears> because they for the first time in 20 years are back in the big time in the Champions League mm. which will enormously help their appeal to players this summer that you'll play Champions League football Yeah you also have to remember like United season as a whole I think you know when we get to the revisionism and it's very fresh we haven't even got to the final day yet but the crushing blow of those games against Brighton and Brentford at the start of the year 
Like that—that that is a part of the season. Half time in that Brentford game, a game and a half into the season, they were six-one down in aggregate. They mm-hmm. lost two-one home to Brighton, which is their only home defeat of the season as yeah. it transpired. And in that game against Brentford, and you're like, Jesus, there was a rumor that Everton Hag was going to walk away. <laughs> At the end of it, I was like, this is a complete disaster that I've taken over. Yeah. And the way he's turned around, you have to say it's a successful season. Bruno Fernandes was asked on the pitch. I've noticed Sky Sports have done these on the pitch immediately after the game interviews. Now with players, they walk around yeah. with the BT Sport do the same thing. And he, uh, Patrick Davidson was saying to Bruno, like, decent season? And Bruno said, that's exactly what it is. It's decent. decent. Which oh, I think yeah. is fair. Not getting carried away. We will, we will touch more on Manchester United's season and the game last night with Samuel Luckhurst of the Manchester Evening News around 10 past 8. This morning we'll have Seamus Hickey. Before that, talking Limerick hurling and, uh, of course, we, uh, previewing the weekend's hurling, generally speaking. Half past 8, the great David Brady will join us. We'll take a bit of a look back at the Mayo last weekend. We haven't touched on it yet with him. And look ahead to this weekend's All-Ireland uh, Group Championship, whatever we're calling it, matches. Shabana Hearn at around 8.50, looking ahead to the final day of the WSL season, which is uh, I guess building up to be a bit of a classic Chelsea have the title in their hands um, with, ahead of their game against Reading tomorrow but uh, we'll touch on all that with Shaban and of course some stories involving the Irish players as well and Alan Quinlan on the line from South Africa at 10 past 9 previewing the URC final between We should also and point out Jane, before we move on, yeah. Johnny's wearing shorts today and I think oh. it's the first uh, studio appearance of someone wearing shorts this year Big shout um, I've been so thinking about risking it different mornings, and I was like, because yesterday yeah. afternoon, you're thinking this is some this is some day. As 11 degrees getting up this morning, and uh, it's weird as the, the 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 changing of the seasons as well. Like I was getting, I was I had my alarm set the other morning for like 5:25, and when when you've set that early, or at least with me anyway, you just keep waking up thinking either a you've slept in or b your alarm is just about to go off. But it was bright for ages before yeah, I woke yeah, up. No. I was like, this is mad, and it makes it so much easier to get up in the morning. You have a good set of cycling yeah. pins on you. Yeah, a good set of legs you see Johnny that's why you want to get them out is that it are you praising my legs well, there you go. you've got a, you've got a few praise in the comments this morning Johnny um, who said so someone said the Young Bucks panel speaking about the four yeah, of us I'm 40 like and then I'll take, I'll 40 Kira replied sure Johnny's in his mid 40s and then Kevin replied he looks younger though well not my mid 40s like, no no but someone said you look younger that's good yeah. you should be happy with that I have like one big contract left in football age at, <laughs> oh really at what age you at best <laughs> <laughs> it, depends how, it depends how good I was as a player. Like, position, I might get an MLM. You're a, goal, you're a goalkeeper. <laughs> what? You're a goalkeeper, so that's. No, no. no I'm not. Keepers at your but, age, we get a uh, I might get an MLS deal, baby. Right. Depending yeah. on the success of my career <laughs> to that point. Uh, Conor O'Donnell has commented, by the way. Hey, lads, could you give a shout out to the Irish foot golf team and their captain, Ronan Lina, flying out to the World Cup in Orlando this morning? Best of luck, lads. That is unbelievable. Imagine flying to Orlando today to play in the foot, foot golf, golf World Cup. Brilliant. That is absolutely ridiculous. Have you ever played football? It seems, no. Yeah, it's oh, class. It's, it's good. Crack. Crack. It's, basically crack just goal, it's basically just a goal kick to start with. Yeah, essentially. And then, whack but it. then it's a, when you get towards the green. It's tactical. I, I love a bit of football. Yeah. Uh, we should do a, an off the ball day out or something. No need to swear shit. We should do so much shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, that was very, very good. Uh, we should touch on a couple of other bits and bobs that are happening uh, as well across the uh, the sporting sphere. As they say, the Irish uh, women's team, uh, they had a lot of players making headlines yesterday for, for various reasons, different exits from different clubs. So Megan Connolly and Megan Walsh uh, leaving Brighton. Uh, Rusha Littlejohn announced she's leaving Aston Villa. Megan Campbell is leaving Liverpool. It's all go. Um, no more long throws. No more long throws, uh, certainly from Liverpool's perspective. We'll hopefully see them in the World Cup, though. There's, there is an amusing uh, Twitter um, kind of interchange this morning as well, or from last night. Um, 
in the call who obviously we know uh, he tweets Paul Galvin like this is reacting to reacting to reacting but Paul Galvin is reacting to a clip of Paul Scholes passes and Paul Galvin just says Scholes amazing player but I could name a dozen Gaelic footballers who could pass like that given the same time and space right to which end the caller replies yeah totally the same and then Dan McDonald, who always gets really worked up about this idea that GA players are basically just soccer players that decided to play yeah, in football. Yeah. He said, it's either an elite case of GA exceptionalism or a spectacularly effective wind-up. And Paul has been on the show. Which one was it, Paul? Yeah, I'd, love to, I'd love to hear... Uh, do, you, do, you, do you get what Dan has this yeah, point? Yeah. Like, remember you used to have like... Um, football, as in soccer, is a much more skillful sport than a lot of people who don't play it realise. Mm. You know, if you actually played a 90-minute game of soccer, you'd realise this is skillful. Mm. Um, so maybe there's people who are into Gaelic football and don't particularly play or, or pay heed to soccer who don't realise or understand that. I, I do, both. I think, though, I, I feel that it's a lot of it is coaching. Like, a lot of really good Gaelic footballers are very good at soccer growing up and yeah. they just kind of gravitate towards one because of family ties or I think even the structures. Incredible. It's such a tedious debate. It's so, my dad could beat you up your dad. I really hate those sport versus sport. <laughs> you're, you're, camera's, not, camera's not having anything this morning. I don't want to compare them. Um, uh, we should mention the injury for Aoife Mannion as well. Uh, small tweak to any injury. Anytime there's an Irish wo- uh, women's player now that that uh, is is down as injury, you get a little bit concerned because the World Cup is only, what, a couple of months away? July 20th, I think, is our first game. Uh, there's tickets on sale, by the way, this morning. So Ireland are going to host Zambia on Thursday, June 22nd. So that is less than a month away. Uh, before taking on France, that's Thursday, July 6th. Uh, two key games as part of the World Cup preparation. Tickets on sale, 10 o'clock this morning. So just over two mm-hmm. hours to go. We'll see Hervé Renard. Will he wear his white shirt? Oh, yeah. On the France technical Oh, area. yes. That'll be a sight to behold. And um, another friendly announce as well. Oh, yeah. Colombia. Uh, that's going to be behind closed doors in Brisbane, July 14th. So six days before the uh, Vera Pauz team get their World Cup underway so that'll be the la- I presume the last game before yeah you'd think so yeah. the World Cup six days is probably just enough uh, time you'd imagine as I said we'll talk uh, WSL with Shabana Hearn uh, later on the show this morning you want to talk French Open? well I just want to mention I got this online yesterday I didn't realise it had been eight years since sorry Bill, yeah since Bill O'Hurley he passed away the great, the great Bill O'Hurley okie doke ah what a man <clears throat> what are your memories of Bill O'Hurley? Well, he made my childhood Corkman. and adolescence. He's Corkman. Cork oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, through and, thru- through and through. And uh, maintained the accent despite spending the majority of his life living up here. And was initially uh, on the news side of things at RT. And then they had um, something happen in the sports department <laughs> where he had to fill in. And the rest is history. But, like, I just, uh, every so often, look back on the Billow, Gilesy, Dunphy, Brady days oh. on RT. And just the way Johnny is accidentally doing a very good kind of impression of the way that Bill would just kind of sit I back, yeah. have the pen, and be like, uh, "Watch it all unfold." What do you mean by that, Eamon? Yeah, and then, simple, uh, but, simple but effective. It was incredible. He always acted like he pretended like he was You'd completely clueless and being like, "Tell me about this football thing," but very much knew his stuff. Menu, just let Menu. them, just let them Your fellow get on with man, it. Uh, Don Lowe's kind of clash with Joanne Cantwell as well reminds us of the old RT era where like it was a lot of personalities because under Declan McBenis whether it's had to do with Declan or not and it probably is RT has moved on from the, yeah, oh, the, totally. the personality days oh, it's, yeah, different, it's yeah. a different and world though it is and like you can debate the ins and outs with, yeah. but uh, it's from another era there was a, it was a specific type of incredulity with Bill mm. that yeah. it, it, like, I remember there was the Dunphy clip where he calls someone a spoofer and Darren Maloney calls him up He's, he's ah no, bull- bullshitter. But uh, Maloney can't carry off that sort of ah what 
Mm. Eamon Dunphy swearing on air, mm, like yeah. that kind of well, what's going on here? It's uh, very Simon Amstel on never mind the Buzzcocks seeing Donny. You were at the smoking. You were at the Sunes yeah. event though. Remember the off the ball Sunes event yes. uh, with Wes Brown and John O'Shea recently as well. The Just Eat one. That was um, they did play a clip at one stage up on the big screen of the the good old days with Billow and Eamon and Sunes in the middle of them as well. It was just an absolute. I'd forgotten how good those days were. Do you remember oh, when? Jesus, do you remember yeah. when Dunphy was like, like Rod Little? He's the one, and then Bill goes, "I even you can't say that." <laughs> but then it's like, yeah. but keep on going anyway. Yeah, yeah. I know. Eamon, you that can't was the say best that. thing when he got really Cork. When he's, ah, you can't be saying that. And then there's a little twinkle in his eye. Oh. And there was one time. Was it? It was actually latter stages when. Um, Bill was questioning the support in an Ireland game in the real down days. I think it was the end of Trap. And Bray, Liam Brady went mad, took a huge exception to Bill being like, well, the fans aren't showing up. And then Brady was like, it's a, it's a tough time. The economy's really struggling. I can't believe you'd say something like that about the fans. And then Bill was like, I'm just saying. Yeah. And it wasn't the full <laughs> stadium. Just you up. And they had an amazing respect for him because, you know, they were like proper football men, these three lads. Mm, and yeah. Bill wasn't. But they still had a huge amount of respect for the way he would just drop a bomb, sit back and enjoy. Yeah, oh, I loved it. I'm about to end this man's whole career. <laughs> loved it. Oh, but I can't, yeah, eight years. Jeez. It's hard to believe he's eight years gone as well, isn't it? Like, what a, I, amazing. I mean, I, he's my favourite. Yeah. Your favourite broadcaster? Uh, one of many, but up there, right up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Your favourite right Cork broadcaster? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of lists list as well. Yeah, big yeah. list, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the French Open starts uh, Sunday coming, two days' time. Uh, there's no Nadal, Colm. No Nadal. First time ever he's not playing the French Open since mm-hmm. he made his debut in 2005. Um, the big, probably, um, takeaway from the men's side is that uh, Novak Djokovic and Carlos Alcaraz, the two favourites, and they're set to play each other in the semi-final. So we're going to be robbed of that final, unfortunately, because right. Djokovic is third seed, hasn't played an awful lot of tennis this year. Fantastic golf. Yeah, exactly. So the quarter-final projection will be last year's final. Okay. Igor Sviantek against Coco Gauff. So Sviantek's world number one defending champion. She's won the French Open twice already. And Arena Sabalenka finally won her first Grand Slam, the Australian Open. It started this mm-hmm. year. She's probably your biggest challenger and they're on the opposite side so they could play each other in the final. Sviantek Sabalenka looks like it's going to be the women's final. This is if everything goes according to plan, of course. And the men's final, it's all about the semi-final. Djokovic, Alcaraz. I think Djokovic will win. Right. And then he'll play probably Daniel Medvedev based on form. But... Uh, Kasper Ruud got into last year's final against Nadal. He could also get to the final. I'd say Medvedev, Djokovic final. Where does the French Open rank in your list of four Grand Slams in terms of enjoyment? Uh, fourth. Oh, oh dear. Poor French Open. I don't like uh, <laughs> the aesthetics of the, of the burnt orange and the yellow ball. And, I'm, and it's, if it's sunny, you just have the hope seen it. Very different coloured. I would prefer ball. if they could do something about that. It would it be great. I, it's, I like Wimbledon the most. And then the US. Yeah, and then the Australian strike me as a and then French man, all right. yeah. it's the one Who Grand Slam where they announce the scores in a different language surely that's brilliant Roland Garros um, yeah that's good that's in the plus volume oh it's yeah. great right I, re- yeah. I really think women's tennis uh, <laughs> needs to <laughs> the top four <laughs> French Open just qualifying for you know who Roland Garros was I remember he, uh, I did a, a history project on him in school no go on he was a, a French aviator in World War One. World War One ace, I'm um, fairly sure. Did he like Final pilot died in 1918 in the war. 
Um, but if you have time this morning, read up on Roland Garros. Fascinating life. Did he like tennis, Shane? Uh, I don't know what the link with tennis is. Yeah. I, and I did a, a research project on him. So that, what was World War One about? Did you figure out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, on that level, go on. Start talking about it. Go on. There's the biggest rabbit hole we've ever had. Genuinely, what was it about? Let's get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Colm and Cameron, thanks for popping in. This morning, Friday mornings, OTPM at 8 a.m. with myself and the superb Johnny Ward, as always. Uh, OTBAM with Gillette Labs get the ultimate shave or your money back Neon Night Edition available now uh, time to turn our attention to matters hurling because it's a big weekend uh, across the hurling championship uh, in both Leinster and Munster the John McDonough final as well time to say good morning to the former uh, Limerick star Seamus Hickey morning Seamus how are things? morning lads how are you? thanks for hopping on uh, we have, uh, I have a list of fixtures in front of me here just to run people through them so tomorrow Saturday we have the Joe McDonough Cup final at Carlo Monopoly at Croke Park at uh, quarter to five and then Sunday's big games the Leinster Senior Hurling Championship round five uh, all these games at two o'clock so at uh, TEG Cusick Park it's Westmead and Antrim the Dubs take on Galway at Croke Park at two and it's Wexford Kilkenny at Chadwick's Wexford Park from 2 o'clock as well that's a big game for Wexford and in Munster uh, both games at 4 o'clock on Sunday Tip Waterford at the FBD Semple Stadium and uh, the TUS Gaelic Rounds at 4 o'clock is Limerick Cork we might start in Munster Seamus uh, given your, it's yourself with us uh, I've been looking at the permutations this morning but I guess we can essentially say if, what, if uh, Tip beat Waterford as we would expect Tip would join Clare in a Munster final and then it's essentially a straight shootout between Limerick and Cork uh, to progress in the championship, so there's going to be a, a big faller this uh, this weekend, Seamus. Yeah, that's how that's how you look you look at it. That's how you expect it. Um, it really would be something that would uh, be extraordinarily unexpected for for Waterford to produce something against Tipperary, considering the low ebb that they're at. Uh, nothing's impossible, but I would expect the Tip to be playing for that place with Clare in the Munster final. Uh, and Limerick and Cork really looking looking for progression, looking to get through to the Lee McCarthy stages. I think that's what they're playing for. Um, very, like they, it's incredibly high stakes for the last round. Um, it's it's uh, it's been a terrific championship so far. So uh, the last weekend is fitting. So any concern in Limerick, or is it kind of going relatively to plan? Because I know John Kiley would have seriously targeted the league campaign, and it's probably going to pay dividends if if you know later on in the championship, but. They weren't bad last weekend. Uh, it just it's it's coming in drips and drabs. Yeah. So like it's it, it, are people concerned? Listen, the plan is always to win every game. Uh, I think that's every team. If they're telling you anything different, well then you know that's not the plan. So uh, is it uh, for me? There were really positive things against Tipperary. Uh, again, to be in a winning position in the end, uh, having lost a man in the frantic closing stages uh, in, a, in a scrap like that, to even have been in the position uh, to be in a point ahead uh, was was a great place to be. Graham O'Kahey made an incredible effort, uh, impact when he came in. It was great to see him um, uh, from a personal perspective. Great to see Graham come in and make the impact that he's made so often before. Um, but, you know, it, it has come in dribs and dribs. Cahill O'Neill was a huge plus mm. for me out of the game. Uh, his I suppose his performance has been coming. I, I think it's been promised for, for a while in the league. His first couple of games in the championship were tough for him. Uh, didn't really get into it, but really, really gave Rowan and Maher all sorts of problems for, and, you know, talking about one of the, the pre- premier defenders in the, in the country. So yeah, it, there was good, good and bad in the, in, in the Tipperary game, but it really is the, the nature of the competition and the level of the competition of the teams around Limerick, I would say more so. Than even themselves, it's a reflection of the standard in Munster. 
Um, you know, going into a game against Cork, who are so unpredictable, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, for them to to play as well as they did against Clare and not get a result is is going to be tough. Uh, I think um, they were really like that. That Dermot Ryan point was was superb uh, to to kill their hopes, but. They have it all to play for against Limerick, and uh, you know, again, historically, they just they haven't feared the green and white. So, travelling up to the gate grounds just won't have the same uh, deterrent uh, as uh, as some other counties. Is there a fear in Limerick, Seamus? Like Limerick were um, the shortest price favourites, basically, to win the hurling All Ireland in years and years and years. I think after the league final, they were about four to seven, and probably an overreaction. But you take they, they struggle to be 14 man Watford which looks a terrible result now really in hindsight um, Cork as you say are unpredictable so there's a there's a really realistic chance there that Limerick are going to just go out without getting out of the Munster Championship um, and how would that sit in the province sorry in the county in, in light of obviously the success that you've had because this is a re- this should be a fear I guess yeah so like this is it's interesting like the hurling public is a hurling public uh, after the Watford game uh, I had I had several People, one of them, particularly uh, 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 a woman in her in her late fifties, go up to you and she goes, "Well, they give us a good run. It's over now, I suppose." <laughs> I was like, I was like it, it, "We had won the game. Uh, it, we we had played poorly." But listen, to me, it, the, the, especially in the early stages, most championship were always going to be hard because of the league final, um, because of the effort that they'd given to it. I am surprised at the level of performance. Uh, I, I thought that they would be further along, uh, but historically, in the years gone past, we'll say the last three, four years, they have gotten better as the year has progressed. Uh, and I'm hoping that we'll say, you know, if we can get a result against Cork, um, you know, and I'd be listen. I, I think that they will personally. I, I think that they will get a result against Cork. Uh, that you know, it might actually be a very good route to go uh, to get a quarterfinal to get. Um, uh, a route that gives them more games and more of a chance to to, to warm the engine up. Um, but you know they've they've hurled a lot of of, of hurling miles collectively, um, and you know when you're in a, a competition that is as competitive as it is, um, I thought Clare have been superb. Really, outside of the outside of the the, the three wobbler goals, I would say that they conceded uh, in the first half against Tipperary. They've they've been exceptional. Uh, they've been really 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 good at a very very high standard so um, you know they've, they've really deserved their monster final berth and then you know Tipperary are, are again Liam Cahill has them has them raised <clears throat> they've got a great blend I think they have a really good blend of the under 20s and 21 success that they, they had with Liam Cahill and the established players like even Bonner Maher now had a really I thought he had a really big impact and, and caused a lot of problems for Limerick early in, in, the, in the first half um, in Central Stadium so they've got a really really good mix um, of, of youth and experience there. Um, and then Corker scoring goals for fun, um, going out to games for long periods, looking like, looking like they're written off and then all of a sudden, um, making these charges. So even against Tipperary below Cork, but, uh, even especially against Clare, I suppose what, what got them against Clare is that they just couldn't get their nose in front. They couldn't get that point to go ahead at any stage in the second half. Uh, and I think that was ultimately, you know, that's how, that's how Claire really got over the line. So, the, uh, but you know, Limerick, uh, for me, they haven't tapped their potential yet. There's been a couple of really positive things, um, but there's been a couple of negative things too. Sean Finn losing Sean Finn has been has been hard. Like uh, regardless of the caliber of person coming in to replace him, uh, it's just it's difficult to have uh, a player like him missing. 
uh, and then see Mark Keogh and uh, and uh, and Jake Morris play as well as they did. So, listen, it's it's the nature of the competition. Uh, maybe a little bit of of of, of fatigue uh, on the Limerick perspective, but you know they get a result against Cork and the road opens up ahead of them. Is it mental or physical fatigue? Because like the narrative around Limerick has been, look at how young the squ- look at how young the panel is. Basically, they're going to win all Ireland left, right, and centre. But as you mentioned, Seamus, like compared Leinster to Munster at the moment, like you can't just turn up at ninety ninety five percent and win in Munster. So if you're a little bit off. Well, at the, I mean, unfortunately, you can if you're playing Watford uh, at the moment. But uh, if if you're playing anybody else, you need to be a hundred percent. And the margins, like for 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 there to be two draws uh, and two one point games mm. after that, uh, to me speaks to the to, to the nature of the competition. And then once their championship has been like that, I saw a great table during the week of of you know Clare have the most wins in Munster. Mm. Um, <laughs> Limerick, Limerick have done okay. Limerick have drawn games. Limerick have had four draws uh, in the last in the last five years. So you know it's it's a tricky format against good teams. So you can't you can't show up in anything but your best. And you've got all these different playing styles that match up differently against the the, the, uh, the, the other counties. So like Clare's style, for whatever reason, max, matches up better against Limerick than it does against Tipperary. Um, Clare have always struggled with Tipperary. So. It's it's a, it's a strange dynamic. Limerick normally do better against Tip than they do against Clare, um, and then again Cork can go either way, uh, depending on depending on what you get. So it, it's uh, it's a really really tough competition, and it's uh, it's I suppose it's 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 decades and, and, and almost a century in the in the making. We've a couple of comments in this morning as well. ML89 says, thinks someone will land the knockout blow on Limerick this year. Could be Kilkenny, Galway, Clare, Tip, but it won't be Cork. Limerick to win by four this weekend. And uh, also a question, I suppose, for, for yourself, Seamus. Will Kylie drop Hegarty again this year? Uh, it's, 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 it's possible. Um, Cahill O'Neill now is, is actually after making that a possibility. I... I I really had a strong thought during the Tip game that uh, the time for maybe you know, trying the likes of Keane, Keane Lynch midfield, bringing Kyle Hayes up to the half forward line just to try something different, to try and jolt that line into, into kind of, uh, into something that resembled, you know, the strength that we've had in the last couple of years. Because our half forward line, and I've said this, I've said this repeatedly, that Limerick do well on our puckouts and our, and our win, our ability to win the middle, uh, particularly collisions in the middle, particularly, um, our, our strength around there, and we haven't been winning the middle third uh, in the Munster Championship. We did in the league, but uh, that was the that was a different competition. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's possible you're owed for whatever reason, and and these are you know these are humans. Like so, we we all have periods of form and periods where we're where we're not as good, um, and just it's just just it's not clicking uh, for Grod. And he's had to put up with an awful lot of rubbish off the field as well in terms of rumors of deep the panel and things like that, which is. You know that's that's never helpful, uh, and it's never good for your state of mind when you're trying to play. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where it, it, maybe you try something different. Um, I, I do feel that the fact that Limerick have, have succeeded for as long as they have with more or less the same start at fifteen is a potential weakness. Um, it, you know, it does help teams plan for you a bit more, um, and you know, throwing something in different might actually help them. Uh, from a from a, a, a predictability standpoint, and also trying to get the best out of Keane. Uh, so, like I can see, Keane Lynch is doing his utmost, um, and I suppose the, inter- the injuries have interrupted his flow, his, his his rhythm, his momentum. 
uh, and maybe maybe uh, a stint midfield where he's he's all, you know he's excelled um, before. Yeah, maybe that would actually be a good thing for him. So yeah, it's possible. How um, straightforward or otherwise is it for a Limerick curler these days to live a normal life if you live in Limerick um, with all the celebrity that entails at this stage? Well, it's uh, it's it's all relative, really. Like you know, in, in, how hard is it to to be uh, a Leinster rugby player in Dublin? It's yeah, our Dublin footballer in Dublin, uh, a Mayo footballer in Mayo. It, it, you draw attention, and I suppose the good thing about you know hurling in football is with our amateur players is that we we get to live with them. You know, their jobs are typically you know a lot of them are in the community, a lot of them are in, t- in classrooms, in schools. So like you've you've access to these to these people. So. It's it's not that difficult. I think to be fair, Limerick has been a fairly good place to be. Now it's it's uh, it's the the only trap that uh, that you're going to fall into is the is the the overwhelming positivity of the last few years, um, and maybe a bit of uncertainty and a bit of nerves and a bit of trepidation this year with the the results of the Munster Championship. I, I still think I still think once you go into the once you go into the unit once you go into the dressing room that you really do kind of diffuse a lot of that noise I, I'm a big believer in it I know that they they work very hard on that on ch- tuning out the noise the external uh, I suppose what they call uh, BS I'm going to say it in a PC way yeah. or a, a polite way here but you know it, it that's that's part of the setup part of the setup is 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 knowing and acknowledging the distractions that are around you and and, the, and I suppose the talk and the narratives that you can't control so um for me, for me, it's 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 just part and parcel. I think they've 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 done it now for for an extended period of time, so that the, you know it's part and parcel of. Um, the action in Leinster is fascinating as well this weekend, Seamus. To be it's fair, time, because yeah. I mean you've got at the top end of things, Galway and Kilkenny and Dublin. I suppose depending on what happens, vying for a place in the uh, Leinster final, Galway and Kilkenny in the driving seat for those positions. But at the bottom, um, I mean Wexford shock loss to, to Westmeath last week, haven't been. 16 points I think it was up at half time was it, at, at one point they were 17 one point, up yeah. Yeah, insane That's stuff and, and they do know a draw at home to Kilkenny this weekend would be enough to save them from dropping to the Joe McDonough um, but if they were to lose Wexford they'd require Westmeath to at least draw at home to Antrim so look permutations aside Seamus how how big a blow would it be if Wexford were to drop to the, to the Joe McDonough Cup like is this a, the sort of thing that would set them back years no, nah, listen. It is. It it would be a massive blow. Like there, there's no, there's no maybe. Um, because the the fall happened in Offaly before you know people realised what it actually was. Mm. Um, and and look how long it took them to to recover. And and you can see them now doing extremely well uh, at underage level and uh, minor hurling um, and at under twenties. But and uh, to see them now in the Joe McDonough to actually try and complete their their resurrection is a good thing it's a good thing for hurling it's a good thing for everybody involved i would say if in, in in awfully um but that took them years and what the problem is when you're when you're going down it, it, it's a very divisive um thing to happen so you know it, it it rarely it rarely ends with everybody banding together to 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 come together and pull pull you out of it in the beginning. In the beginning, it, it leads to division and 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 all sorts of uh, of breakdown. Uh, like you know, even just for the Limerick perspective, in two thousand and ten, when we went down to Division Two in the National Hurling League, it took us five years to get out of it um, of Division Two uh, and the restructuring of the leagues and different things happened. But it was a very divisive thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, it's 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 not a it's not something that Wexford want. Uh, they don't want they don't want to be staring that. 
in the face. And and Kilkenny are not a uh, you know they're not a compassionate group. They're not going to be thinking of <laughs> of, of Wexford like they're they're to me uh, they are they are what they are. Uh, they're they're going to Wexford for for, for results uh, to close out their campaign, uh, an impressive campaign, I would say. Um, you know, they should have beaten Galway. I thought. Um, are they contenders, uh, Seamus? Oh, a hundred percent, no question. So the, the comment there about someone could land a knockout blow on Limerick, I agree with that. It's it's very possible. And Kilkenny are as likely as anybody. Galway can do the same. Um, I, I think that the the Galway Dublin game will be very revealing mm-hmm. because Dublin played well against Kilkenny, played very well against Kilkenny. Um, with real, I, I think Michal Donoghue. What I saw from that Dublin team was, you know, a, a belief that they could contend and. You know, and then the execution of the skills for me it was a really, really good performance. I, I don't think six points was the margin between Dublin and Kilkenny. Uh, it, it was, it was one of those things where you know Kilkenny hit seven points in a row in the second half um, at a at a time when Dublin looked like they were really coming into it, uh, and uh, Dublin still managed to come to to stay at it at the end, and there was no whimper at the end. They really, really did fight to the end. So. Um, that, that Dublin-Galway game is another measuring stick for Dublin and their progress. Uh, but it's also for Galway then, you know, how, how serious are they? Because, you know, to me, it's a good game, to, to the, the Galway-Dublin game, uh, a very, very interesting game for both teams. Galway will want to to show their mettle and Dublin then will want to see, you know, how close how close were are they and, and was the kick any game, can they repeat the performance? Because if they can repeat the performance, they'll trouble Galway. There's mm. no question. Yeah, it's going to be an incredible weekend of, of hurling. So 2 o'clock on Sunday for those Leinster matches and 4 o'clock uh, for the Munster games on Sunday afternoon as well with the Joe McDonough Cup final between Carlo and Offaly tomorrow. Seamus, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks for hopping on. Thanks, Ed. Good stuff. Seamus Hickey there, the uh, former Limerick hurler joining us on Friday morning's OTBM at 8.18am with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back in Neon Night Edition available now. We'll be back after these ads talking Man United Chelsea with Samuel Luckhurst. OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball 19 minutes past 8 on this Friday morning's OTB AM with myself and Johnny Ward with you as always till 10am Johnny we might touch on the League of Ireland some big games tonight so we've got from 7.45 Bowes, Shelburne Cork against Shamrock Rovers Draw to take on UCD and it's Pats against Dundalk and then tomorrow evening's game is Sligo Rovers against Derry City uh, what's the game that's jumping out to yourself? John? Uh, it's Pats and Dundalk. Yeah, Shane, John Daly's start has been John Daly's start. Like um, people might know much about John Daly. He he was um, he's he's quite a, he's quite a had quite a colourful uh, career. Uh, he was the first one of the first I think Southern Irish to play for Rangers. which yeah. to me, kind of I'm not really big first into, Irish Catholic. I think yeah, yeah. So I'm I, I'm not like. SPL doesn't really float my boat or whatever, but that, and that was at a time when Rangers was rising literally from the ashes. Um, but he he then pursued a coaching career that brought him to um, obviously Scotland, Scandinavia, and the vicissitudes of the way sport works. Where he was brought in by Tim Clancy, and Tim Clancy, whether he whatever way you want to call his departure from Pats, he left. John Daly took the job on an interim basis, quickly said, I want this job, and you can like it or lump it, and they've given him the job. And, um, you know, there will be suggestions that Pats, um, 
is it is a demanding place to work. Stephen O'Donnell left in in controversial circumstances. Um, Tim Clancy came in pretty quickly. He didn't last all that long, and I don't think he did a bad job. But he didn't last all that long. Daly's come in, um, series underage talent. Like they have yeah. links. With, we'll, we'll talk maybe about the seventeens at one point. But like Pat's, you know, accounting for both of the scores. Yes, Amelia and Luke Carey, yeah. Like really, really, really good talent. Players that probably aren't a million miles off um, playing relatively regularly for the senior team, particularly in Amelia's case. And um, it, it is an exciting job and the thing is about Pats since the cup final uh, the season before last they've really maintained very good crowds in Inchicore like regularly four to five thousand um, they're doing a lot more work with sort of work around the community um, and then obviously they welcome Stephen O'Donnell back to Dundalk uh, back to Inchicore tonight and he Story hasn't gotten a, yeah he hasn't gotten a, you know a nice reception and he'll take that as part of the job but um, it's been a fascinating season and Shamrock Rovers losing at home to draw the last week throws it wide open it, yeah. it definitely reminds us that um, you know it, it's it's not a foregone conclusion yet as much as I think they'll win the league um, great night action both Shelburne as well that's the live game on Virgin um, so um, unfortunately I'll be uh, I'm, well not unfortunately but I'm, I'm racing tonight in Limerick um, but I'll be, on the way back I'll have uh, Virgin on watching. racing yourself are you? Racing, <laughs> no, you're not yeah. racing. You'll be at the racing. I'm, uh, I'm at the racing Limerick, yeah, but I'll be keeping tabs yeah, on the keep tabs League on of Ireland uh, action on exactly. the way back. We'll hopefully uh, touch back on the League of Ireland for the end of today's show. But standing by at 21 minutes past eight on this Friday morning's OGBM is Samuel Luckers from the Manchester Evening News. Samuel, how are things? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, I mean, we have to ask Sam straight away. I mean, it's all about Evan Ferguson, really. Are, 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 Samuel, are Man United going to sign Evan Ferguson? <laughs> I don't think so this summer. Uh, I think that he's he's been a player of interest for for quite some time now, and and, and naturally so. And the the way looking at United's front line and the way you can see it evolving next year and the year after, you, you can completely see him being a player of interest to them and someone who would slot into that team. And there's there's always an outside chance this summer, uh, given with with Kane and Osman. Although they are two high-tier targets, they're two very difficult targets to attain as well. So it might be that United have to look a little bit lower down the ladder in terms of more attainable strikers, but still quality strikers. That said, I think with Ferguson, it's probably in United's best interest and also Brighton's best interest that he's given a full a complete full season in the Premier League to see how he gets on. It's funny as well, um, Shane. I think like you're... What age are you? 29. 29. So you would have missed... To an extent, like the the Man United like hysteria in the early to mid nineties, and I definitely think Sam in, in Ireland, and I think Sam that had an awful lot to do with Dennis Irwin and Roy Keane. Uh, it was like Manchester United became a team that so many Irish people could relate, to, and it, you can imagine like if Ferguson became a stalwart there, the difference that would make as well. Yes, the the team are possibly coming over to Dublin for a pre-season friendly in early August and I'd, I'd argue that doesn't happen often enough. I think the last time that happened was in 2017 when they played Sampdoria at the Aviva and the reason why it doesn't happen is, as you just alluded to, that there aren't many Irish players who, who play for United anymore, which, which is a pity given the... Uh, the strong connection uh, between Ireland and United and some of the great players who've, who've played for them. There was maybe a, a slight uh, ripple effect when Paddy McNair, I know he plays for Northern Ireland, but when he got in the team and, I mean, Paddy McNair was never good enough to play for United. He only played because Louis van Gaal had a very curious selection policy with, with the academy players. But you did have a lot of uh, enthusiasm in Northern Ireland just because all of a sudden here was an Irish player 
playing for Man United again. And I completely agree with, with Ferguson. There would be um, immense appeal to it. You've seen it with, with other uh, core territories. I mean... Might have just lost Samuel briefly there, I think, on the line. Uh, just the line seems to have frozen. Um, <clears throat> it's an interesting one in terms of United's targets. Like the, Harry Kane is the name that... Uh, look, Evan Ferguson is, of course. Who do you sign, Kane or Ferguson? Because it's just so different parts of their career. Like, from an Irish perspective, I'd love them to sign Ferguson. But mm. like, I, I don't. it's not realistic, I don't think, this season. I'd love him to stay at Brighton. So would I, yeah. year. I think yeah. on, working under Roberto De Zerbi again for another season can only be a good thing for him. I actually would love Liverpool to sign Evan Ferguson. That'd be, <laughs> like, that'd be, you know. But they're already getting Alexis McAllister. I mean, mm. they're red in Brighton if they're, if they're going for Ferguson as well. And all you need then is a press conference where McAllister <laughs> says, yes, it would be great if Evan played with me again. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, Liverpool are all over back and for bringing Ferguson. Yeah, we have uh, Samuel back on line. Samuel, I, I guess the, the thing is that last night's result secures top four for Manchester for next season. So again, makes it easier to, to bring in targets in Interesting reading Eric Ten Hag's comments afterwards. Uh, I think he was reminded Arsenal had a tendency to, to be satisfied finishing for top four, and his response not good enough for me. So clearly, albeit he's delighted with the top four, uh, not resting on his laurels there. No, he, he even said, uh, "quote We need better players," which no United fan would would dispute that. And certainly, looking again at that performance last night. I, th- I said to my colleague maybe about 10 seconds before the goal went in, uh, the second goal, and I said Sancho and, and Marshall have been United's weakest players again and then one gets the assist and one gets the goal. But it was pretty straightforward stuff uh, from, from Casemiro's pass and players like Sancho and, and Martial. I think the, the severe defeat, as, as bad as it was for United, I think that could be one of the best things that happens to them because not only did it take them out of the Europa League and really looking ahead to that FA Cup final next week, if they had a Europa League final in the middle of it, that would have compromised the build-up and the preparations. But also that was a night where squad players were starting in the absence of of first-teamers. And it just confirmed what everyone knew, that a lot of those squad players are not up to it. Martial is certainly not up to it. That's why they want a striker. Uh, Sancho, the club looks too big for him. In recent weeks, the the eighty million pound captain has not even come into the conversation when it comes to signing a uh, sorry playing uh, whether he, whether he plays at centre half. Mm-hmm. And if Harry Maguire does go, then United would need a centre back. And ultimately, the, the the problem is the ownership situation. There, there is money set aside for a striker, as there always has been, and there, there needs to be, and it remains to be seen who that strike will be. That is a priority. Ten Hag does want a younger and, and dynamic midfielder to come in because with Casimir and Eriksen, it's, it's, you, you, everyone knows their names. Everyone also knows uh, their age. They're, they're 31. They'll be 32 mid, midway through next season. And the youngest midfielder is McTominay. And he's probably also the most sellable to the point that if United were to receive £30 million for him, it would be, it would be remiss of them to, to reject that because they are going to have to use the funds from outgoings to finance the majority of the incomings with the profitability and sustainability rules. So the prospect of them signing Kane, Mount and Rice in the same summer is just it's, it's cloud cuckoo land stuff, really. It would be staggering if that somehow happened. I don't think any club can really get away with that level of finance. We've, we've seen Chelsea try in the last couple of windows, <laughs> But they are under a hell of a lot of pressure now to, to to shift sellable assets. And it has to be done by late June because of the, the financial quarter as well. And United are in a, a 
in quite a similar situation. Although they've had a much better season than Chelsea, they've got to shift a lot of players, get a lot of players off their books, and there's still not that much of a market for for, for a lot of them, quite frankly. And you'd maybe look at Juan Bissaka, who's who started the last four games and is probably a nose ahead of Dallow at the moment in terms of uh, starting right backs. But there's still a possibility that he could be sold because. His reputation has recovered. He would improve the majority of Premier League defences. There are Premier League clubs interested in him and they've shown interest over the last six months or, or so. And again, if a £30 million offer comes in, it would be daft of United to turn their noses up at that. Uh, so we, we say it every year it's a big summer at United, but this is this is going to be a particularly big summer with the ownership situation yet to be resolved. So, Samuel, I know I know the stats are skewed by the game in Anfield, um, but Manchester United have finished third at the moment with a plus fourteen goal difference. Fifty six <clears> goals <throat> is completely anomalous. Um, so, is this a good or a bad thing? Where clearly they can score a lot more goals, they've gotten their defensive um, issues practically sorted, like. How do you look at these stats? Because it's the the fifty sixth uh, goals figure just stands out a mile for a team in the top four. It's derisory. Last night was the first time they'd scored four goals in in a league game all season. Their their biggest win all season has has been four one, and that was uh, against Betis and, and Chelsea last night. Of course, C- compare it to I mean as as I said before, I think Liverpool when they're up, they're up, Optimum. They are one of the most ruthless teams on the planet and United are still nowhere near that level and yet they've finished above Liverpool this season. The, the, the defence has improved, but there have been these sporadic shellacings kings at Brentford, at City, at Liverpool, to a much lesser extent Newcastle as well, where they lost 2-0, but they were so anemic and Ten Hag actually bracketed the severe defeat with Liverpool, Brentford and City as well. It, it's, it's a quirk of their lack of goals this season that someone has scored 30 goals in the season which hadn't happened at United since Ferguson's last season with Robin Van Persie and a lot of Rashford's goals the vast majority of them have been crucial goals they've they've gained them points but they do if I think if you look at look at history most teams they have got two goal scorers if if you're going for the title or if you're winning the title you've got two players who are going to get you 25 goals uh, plus a season and United don't have that and really they've looking at Martial he's he's the number nine there he's been there for eight years now as well he turns 28 this year and yet there are still people who, who are of the mindset that well give him a bit of time you know he can come good he really should have been sold a long, long time ago. And the only reason he's probably still at United is because he was he was unsellable in the summer. And given the situation also with the, the attack in the summer, it seemed pretty clear United were not going to sign a number nine. So they had to make do with him. And in fairness to Ten Hag, he, he got a tune out of him in pre-season and he was looking pretty good. But he's been too, too injury-prone all season. And United are looking to get him out of the club in the summer as well. But again, that's going to be difficult because he's not completed 90 minutes in a Premier League game since January 2021. I don't think that last night was only his ninth goal of the season. He's not broken double figures uh, in, in the season for goals since 2019-20. And you would say, <clears throat> excuse me, that's that's probably skewed by uh, a lot of the COVID games where you, you're playing these training ground environments. And it, it did feel a lot easier for, for certain players. Um, it, it was almost as if they, they preferred it without having supporters there. And he's also been extremely injury prone this season. He's, uh, I think he's had five separate injuries. So, 
although he's his his technical ability is good, he is a very tough sell, uh, and there's probably a small small market out there as well that would that would take him. But I'm still not sure necessarily that a club what club out there is itching to spend thirty million pounds to to sign Anthony Marshall. It, it it remains to be seen, and as as I said, United will get a striker in, but I think given that they they could finish third this season there's going to be certainly an expectation among some of the supporters to get a lot closer to city next season um i mean i think a challenge is is possibly pushing it i think it would be prudent to consolidate their place in the top four liverpool will get better chelsea might get their act together you, with tottenham you never know but they've got to aim higher for next season and immediately that means you've got to get a goal scorer in who's proven. So although they've, they're have they looking at the lad at Atalanta and, and Moani at Eintracht Frankfurt as well is is someone that they've been keeping tabs on just because he, he might be on the move this summer. It really is a lot more logical to try somehow to force through a, a move for, for, for Harry Kane. But United are very hesitant about that because it means dealing with Daniel Levy. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's true. And Jose Mourinho clearly had his comments with Daniel Levy yesterday. Not a fan whatsoever. Um, Samuel, the the FA Cup final, I guess, now takes precedence in United's minds for on, on Saturday week in Wembley. The chance of a second trophy this season, albeit against uh, the juggernaut of Manchester City. But um, I guess the two-parter question, but how do you think United will fare in that Cup final? Can they cause an upset? And also, we saw Anthony in, in a bit of distress last night with his uh, serious-looking ankle injury and <coughs> Luke Shaw taken off at half-time with what appeared to be a back injury. Would you expect either or both of those to be involved? I think Anthony looked... I think his race looks run for the season, unfortunately. And, and that could have dire consequences on how United approach that game because when they beat City in January... Anthony didn't start, but Fernandez started on the wing, and already you can see that happening. That Fernandez has to start there because the, the problem they've got in midfield is that as good as Casemiro and Eriksen are, you wouldn't necessarily pit them against City's midfield. Casemiro has to stay there, but in the the January derby, Eriksen actually played as the number ten. I think it was the first time he started as the number ten all season for United, and this is a player who is is synonymous with the role. And it might be that, that Fred comes into the midfield or McTominay comes into the midfield, so they have got someone who's more energetic, who can get about City, who can help United with their pressing as well. And, and Fernandez is, is such a workaholic that you can play him on the wing, but it seems like whenever he's played on the wing games this season, he has still had a key impact or a key contribution in the game. The problem, obviously, with Anthony coming out is that your other winger is is out of the pitch now. So... Fernandez may have to switch wings and then it, it's a case of playing the percentages because there is going to be probably a starter who should not be starting that cup final. You either look to Sancho, who was underwhelmed uh, for most of the season and I, I just think United looks too big a club for him. Or you've got Martial, who, although he scored last night, he, he audibly irks the supporters on, on three or four occasions because... Okay, he scored, but it was only a tap in, and his overall performance was was not the level that they they expect of a Manchester United number nine. So th- there's a, a lot. Although Ten Hag has got a lot of options, he also needs, and, and also we're, we're talking about the we're talking on the assumption that he's going to bring a midfielder in and play Eriksen as a mm. number ten. He may have shown his hand already to Guardiola uh, with that win in January, and although United played well in the first half. 
City still went 1-0 up in that game and it was a pretty contentious goal that levelled it with you know, City wanting the offside and then City mentally they were stewing at the time and then United went in for the kill and made it 2-1 so it's it's probably in their interest to do something that none of us can foresee I mean if we can read it then you know that Guardiola will be able to read it and I, I don't know what the alternatives are really because the the, the quality of squad depth at United is it's just not good enough. There are only a handful of players that you would say um, Ten Hag is is happy to depend on who don't regularly start. I mean, Lindelof's on a very good run of form, having had quite an unfulfilling season, and there have been times when he probably should have played and he didn't play, but he seems a certain starter now. But it's it's all about that front six. It's do you play Ericsson um, deep or do you move him higher up? As I said, I think it's inevitable that Fernandes is going to play on the wing. But then do you go with Sancho? Do you play Do you play Rashford off the left? I think they've got to be mindful of who's the best equipped to go at Carl Walker, which would be Rashford. So if you play Rashford on the left, that means logically you play Marshall up front. And Ten Hag has said quite repeatedly that United play better with Marshall. I think that might be they play better in spite of Marshall. <laughs> but they did play quite well in the first half uh, in, in the January derby when Marshall did start, but then he came off uh, because of injury at half time, And that might be the way of playing the percentages because then at least, although it's it's not ideal, in Sancho and Garnacho, you've got two players who have done very well off the bench this season. And I, I just suspect that with Garnacho, although he would be the fans' favourite to come in and start and maybe Rashford playing up top, for an 18-year-old in an FA Cup final against Carl Walker as well. You saw how he dealt with uh, Vinicius mm. Jr. last week. It's probably prudent to keep Garnacho uh, in reserve and then use him as a game-changer. Samuel, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you very much. Samuel Luckhurst there of the Manchester Evening News joining us on OTBM on this Friday morning at 8.38am. A bit of martial law. Martial law. Having that one. I see what you did yeah. there. Yeah. Very good, Johnny. Um, Having that one. There's another one, a uh, similar pawn in the back page of the Irish Daily Star. The boy, B-H-O-Y, who would be king. Celtic fans, what do you make of these rumours? Mm. So Tottenham, apparently, have turned their attention to Celtic boss Ange Postacoglu after the latest snub from man- a managerial target. So Ernie Slut, the uh, Feyenoord boss, had been strongly linked with the job of uh, replacing Antonio Conte. But uh, another setback, he's uh, ruled himself out of a move to North London. This was yesterday. Um, speculation has helped him secure an extension to his contract with Feyenoord, of course, after winning the Dutch Eredivisie Divisie title. Would Ange Postacoglu move from Celtic to Spurs? Um, I'm not sure that's a move that... Well, like, it would be exciting, uh, I mean, from a neutral perspective, to see his style of football at Tottenham, but I think Celtic fans would be, would be absolutely devastated to see him leave. Mm. It's um, the, yeah, the, the Spurs situation is fascinating. There's so much going for it, but like the Levy thing does seem a. You, you look at the way Samuel spoke there; it would put off managers. I think working 100%. at that club. Um, Listen to Mourinho yesterday. Yeah, he was like, if anyone hasn't seen these comments from Jose Mourinho yesterday, he's there in his Roma tracksuit uh, press conference, and he's been asked. I, th- I don't know what he was asked, but he, he certainly was like, well, all of the clubs I've managed. I, I look back and have fond feelings for Porto, Inter, Real Madrid, Manchester United, uh, all except Tottenham, he said. You know, and uh, Mr. Levy, he kept referring to Mr. Levy, Mr. Levy. Clearly has a disdain for the man um, and, and for, for his time at the club. Um, the only club that he clearly has uh, a little bit of disdain for that he's managed, but it was just interesting.
We'll move on. 8.40 a.m. on this Friday morning's uh, OTBM. We're going to turn our attention to Gaelic football. I'd to say David Brady joins us on the line this morning. Morning, David. How are things? And how's it going, buddy? How's things? Keeping well. Thanks for hopping on. We haven't uh, had the chance to chat to you since Mayo launched themselves back into the Sam Maguire race last weekend. I'm sure you're, you're buzzing. The hype train has uh, taken off again. Well, that means it's comes to tankers in full flow, without a doubt. Um, it was, and like we talked this time last week, and we were going, you know, the permutations and, you know, what kind of, not God, what kind of a Mio team we're going to turn up, but this is, this was not really the ideal game that you'd want facing Munster champions or Ireland favourites and uh, a Curry team that was um, nearly at full strength as such. And it turned out to be, the ideal scenario because um, it really has painted a picture for me all now and what they can do and what's what's uh, what path is ahead of them. And it was for me, if you have, you know, we were talking about the the, the, the hype train, the engine room really turned up, uh, and that was a, a big difference for me as well from a male perspective. Your middle six contributed a massive amount more to what though has been in the last um, number of weeks and during the. Uh, the Connacht Championship and the likes of Maddie Rouen, um, very, very dominant, um, really took the game by the, the scruff of the neck. You also had Jordan Flynn, um, who equally has, every time he seems to play a curry, his, his game just goes up that extra two or three notches. I think not being, he, he was man of the match in February and, and just never got to that level of that standard Um Again, during the, the rest of the National League games, um, so he, he reproduced his form against Curry again. That was that was very important. And you had the likes of um, Conor Loftus from a centre-back position, um, really going forward at, at a, a lot of opportunities. Um, was You know, we, we, we've talked about Conor as the, the plus one and who's man, marshalling the defence from a male perspective. But um, he was given a little bit more free reign, and there was there was more others that kind of held that held that plus one role at at, at times. So they kind of they handed over very well. And I think it was positive, positive, and it it creates it creates that opportunity now for Mayo where they win their next two games. You look to win every game, but they can have that little bit of a break. And I think the break in the six weeks has done them the world of good. Um, mm. They've worked it very well from a player's perspective and a management perspective. Is that the, is that the incentive, David? Because like, I know a lot of people crab the format, but finishing finishing first, um, you, you mentioned the break, you know, you have a game less as well. Um, how do they approach? Because they're going to be cork and loud, simple as. So how do they approach that and keep their momentum up then for the next stage? There's, Johnny, there's nothing simple as with me all, let me tell you. No, you know that. And uh, Cork and Lowe's will present their own, their own, uh, their own challenges. But it, it had, and if you look at the way that the whole season has gone down, yes, it's a condensed season. But it go, it is. There's no such thing as 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 a free Christmas because it's like December, January is flat out, mm. and you're going February, March, April. It is. There's no let up. Um, and you know every team is is kind of focusing on different things, but you got to think. But Kevin McStay is only in, so a new manager brings kind of that new momentum and that new focus, and it doesn't give you any time to just say, "Look, boys, I understand you. You understand me. We're well established in our game plan and what we want to produce." So, it kind of, it, it is. It was five intensive months, without a doubt, for Mayo, um, culminating in a national league win, but. 
um, done that Monday after we were defeated by Roscommon. Uh, everything seemed gloom. But that six weeks, I know there was a number of fellas that were gone on the Tuesday morning over to Portugal um, mm. and did them the world of good to get that two weeks off. Now, that's a... You kind of go, do you give one week? Do you give two weeks? But you have a manager and a management team in Kevin McStay that goes, you know what? Two weeks is important. I, I, I think this is... I, he spoke about that actually after the game, but like I, 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 you do get the impression that the, the Mayo players actually really enjoy playing for this management team. I enjoyed playing for Kevin McStay. Not that I've ever played for him or with him. He's a, he's a club man of mine in Ballina. But he he's he, he just kind of he he seems to have his finger on the pulse. Liam McHale is another one. Liam is Liam is just a joy to be around. Very you know uh, positive. You know there's there's fun in it and there's a bit of there's a bit of Joe Devee about this Mayo team and that you need it in a in a setup. You need it in a camp. And uh, again, you have Donny Buckley who's who I think really has worked when he got his hands on them on that first night back. You can see what they're really trying to um, achieve, and that is again the, their link. And a lot of their link play wasn't wasn't very good. It wasn't very evident against Roscommon, but their angles of running, their support runners, and again it was the runners that were like making <clears throat> one, two, three options coming off coming off fast transition ball. That was a big thing from um, Mayo perspective. They had massively fast transition, but they kind of got ahead of a, a curry defence that were unable to set up in a number of times. Um, but again, it, it is the, the mind is a lot to do with sport, and it was a monster, a monster final for curry. It is, and was it was an emotional and personal uh, few days for the for the for the Cliffords, and mm-hmm. it just kind of then you're kind of going, oh, we have to go and do this. Then you know, two weeks later, and you know, it's 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 nearly down off a high and trying to pump yourself up uh, again. Now, Mayo, Killarney, uh, first time in 20 odd years they've been defeated down there. Um, it's, it's, it wasn't that, that, that Curry dis- disrespected, but it just that Mayo were at a different pitch. And uh, we're only, what, nine, ten weeks away from the end of the season. So it's, 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 um, it's a challenge for everyone. So it is on the, on, the, on the Curry team and the Curry management bus to have that opportunity to get back on the bike again. Tell you one man who enjoys or seems to enjoy playing under Kevin McStay is uh, Aidan O'Shea, David, because he's 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 a man reborn almost, and it, he seems to be have found his position as well. And I was listening to Colin Boyle on the show during the week with Joe, and he was talking about the fact that even during the league, whether they put Jason Foley on him or um, Dylan Casey on him, it didn't matter because he was just having a field day. And, and, and the same happened last weekend. I think he picked up the Man of the Match award uh, against Kerry last weekend. Um, he's just. He looks like he's confident again this season. He's confident, Shane, because I think he knows what he what's expected of, and it's been laid out very clear. And I think he's confident because he knows that he has a role to play, and it's not, you know, it's not the 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 superhero role that I think like he, we like from centre back, midfield, centre forward, full forward. Pull back. Like, the only place he hasn't played is the goal. Yes. And <laughs> Liam McHale had that pub- problem, or people used to say it back when he was playing. I, I don't know. Is he a full forward? Is he a midfielder? Is he a half forward? Is he, you know, mm. um, sometimes when you, when you, when you have, when a manager is very forthright, but very confident in your ability to say, you know what, Johnny, you're full forward. 
and you're my number one. And this is the four things I need from you. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that 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 Mayo are getting and, and Aidan O'Shea is providing is a very simp- simplistic work rate. He is he is absolutely tigerish in his defence, in his pushing up on kickouts, in his directing that kind of forward line. Um, he's very experienced. He knows the calls. He knows when the time is to push up, sit back, step off, um, and it's 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 paying rewards and dividends. But it's it's kind of that flow of long ball, direct ball, and you have a target man. Uh, we think when you have six foot, I don't like it. Aiden is a big man. Yeah. six foot three odd four nearly. Um, and you're thinking in your own mind, and as Merkel, you're going right. I need to make sure that I am touch tight or I'm, you know, this guy's not going to get the ball over my head. A lot of the ball that's gone in from my own perspective is a nice 15, 20 yard hand pass straight in front of him. Mm. So, you know, that the, the defender is betwixt and between. Do I sit behind or, you know, is it high or is it low? And a lot of it is into his chest and he's going left and he's right. And he's getting that little bit of confidence with the freeze also from his, um, on his, uh, on his left foot. Any suggestion that he would have uh, called today? At he's thirty three this summer, and you look at Keegan. Obviously, um, last season was very, very disappointing. Is there any suggestion in his head? Like you know, he he didn't look like he was improving. Put it that way. Uh, no, and a good point. And and again, it's probably freshness is a great is a great food for thought. Um, and again, I probably had it in the latter stages of my career where. I had um, Mickey Moore in 2004 and the following year was John O'Mahony. Or sorry, um, 2006 and then the following year was John O'Mahony. So you're kind of, it gives you that little bit of a hook or that little bit of an incentive or an appetite. And, and think, I think that the mix, the recipe then of Stephen Rochford there and Donny Buckley, Donny would, would be, would, be, um, would uh, have a great uh, understanding and a, a relationship with, with Aidan and vice versa. And it kind of, it's a perfect mix with a little bit of a challenge. And the challenge was um, very forthright and very, I, I suppose, straight from, from Kevin McStay and his management team said, this is what we want from you. This is where we want it. And this is, this is the only thing we want from you. And that's, I think that gives you that, gives you that, that confidence as, as you go on. But it definitely is, it ends, without a doubt, best year. I uh, don't know which of these games, David, this weekend are, are jumping out to you, but uh, just so people are aware of the fixtures. So tomorrow, Saturday, the uh, group stages, uh, the other game in, in Mayo's uh, group, Louth and Cork, play at Park Talton in Navan at 3 o'clock. You've got Armagh Westmeath at the Athletic Grounds at 4.45 tomorrow, and then at 7pm, Derry take on Monaghan uh, up in Celtic Park in Derry. And then the only game on Sunday is in Croker, Dublin against Roscommon uh, from 4. I guess it'll be interesting to see where Derry and, and Armagh are both at after that hectic enough Ulster final. I'm telling you, that is that is going. That was that was a very emotional, like emotion, like zapping week as well. Mm. With all that was in the headlines and all that was being talked about and read about, and what a game! What a game! <laughs> in all fairness, and if anyone, uh, I've, I've I did hear one or two. I'm going. Oh my god. It had absolutely everything. This is this is entire contrast. Joe Brawley says you might as well just turn off the last ten minutes. So you're totally on the other end of this. I was going, what's the setup? What are they doing? Are they, you know, the first score was, I don't know, what was the minutes? <laughs> but it just was, it was textbook. And that's, oh yeah, and you're going, oh, is it unfortunate that's the way football is going? Johnny, but you're going, it was textbook. They weren't just giving the ball away and creating this up and down, up and down. They were controlled. They, they knew their form. They knew their setup. 
And it, I thought it was like there was every time there was a score back to two, back to one, back mm. to two, back to one. It might take three, three and a half minutes for one score. Curry keeping, uh, keeping the ball for that length of time, but very structured, very kind of regimental and very smart, but very good footballers. And we had the, the performance from um, uh, McGuigan was just ah mm. sublime, absolutely sublime. I thought it was a, a fantastic game of football. And you're going, yeah, sure, every game is only exciting in the last 15 minutes. You're not going to be on the edge of your seat, but it was enthralling and intriguing, and it had met so many subplots. Um, I do think, I do think, um, Shane, and you'll be you'll be very glad to hear this, um, I think that Monaghan will, will, I cannot see being an A point like it was in, in, in the Ulster Championship. I think Monaghan have got a little bit of confidence back in their, in back in their psyche, and I think... How is Derry going to manage the emotion of, again, winning a, a fantastic and trolling um, Ulster final? Now to go back in and go, mm. all right, so we need to raise ourselves again. I think that's 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 one question mark. And again, we talked about it last week. Um, Armagh, Westmead, yes, Armagh will be, will be licking their wounds and everything else. But it is, from a psychological point of view... Um, you know, Westmead hadn't the greatest year from a Division Three perspective, but they're they're thereabouts. But I think there could be. It's, it'll be very interesting to see how both um, Derry and Armagh get over that kind of massively um, explosive, emotive, and uh, zapping uh, Ulster final. It'll be and and thank God for the Ulster final because just there was there was damn all else um, from a provincial final perspective, yeah. and uh, I think it's it's. If the scrap the provincials, we we'll still keep Ulster by. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Hold on, Ulster. Yeah, hold on, Ulster. No surrender no, to the Ulster Challenge. Don't, don't, don't give Ulster to anyone. <laughs> yeah, we'll hold on to it for now. Uh, David, great stuff. And as you say, look, that Derry Monaghan match takes on more significance when you look at Kerry Mayo last week, and, and teams want to finish top of their group to avoid that extra game. Uh, David, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks so much for hopping on. Thanks, Shane. See you, Jamie. Thanks, Dave. They're getting them at a good time, are they? Because were they? Seven points down in the in the championship. Yeah, in bad the previous start. meeting between yeah. Derry and Monaghan. Yeah, yeah bad just, start and Derry played well. They were shooting the lights mm. out that day. Like to be fair, McGuigan was, was again on form. But as David says, I can't see it being the, exactly the same. There'd be that high that Derry will have been on. Now Derry have home advantage is the only. Monaghan bring Manny up there. Monaghan fans always mm. travel. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and it's not too far to go up. So I think it'll be a decent game. Mm. Be a decent game Saturday evening, seven pm as well. So Boy Hannan be there. I, I'm ho- no. T- I tell you what, Johnny. We have a big cup final on Saturday. Oh, Monaghan Town. Monaghan Town. Premier Cup final tomorrow, 2 o'clock. Go to Keegan, if anyone wants to head along. Oh. Monaghan Town versus Glaslaw Villa. Glaslaw Villa won the treble last year, so this is the up against the, the juggernaut of, of Glaslaw Villa. So it's not easy. My former club, I used to play for Villa when I was 16. Oh, wow. So that's a bit of a... There'd be like pigs' heads thrown at you and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The crowd, the, the massive squealing crowd. Squealing pig, be, of course. Yeah, squealing yeah, pig, yeah. of course. Monaghan reference there for anyone yeah. familiar. Um, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to... Uh, Check the score during uh, Football Saturday. It's yeah, get it on your live score app. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, JD will be all over it. Hundred percent. Ah, yeah, I'll be sending in. I was going to say I'll be sending in updates of that. <laughs> like, like to think I'll be on the pitch and uh, slightly busy. Um, so yeah, it'll be an interesting match. Best of luck, young man. Cheers, Johnny. No, we're looking forward to it. Uh, it should be a decent game. Um, the under 17s as well. We didn't really touch on Johnny the oh, uh, excitement of it. I mean, I, they play tomorrow against Spain, isn't it? The quarterfinals. Yeah, it's just class, like and. Uh, it was funny because they, they they were battered in their opening game, and um, you know Stephen Bradley was. I think Stephen Bradley's a brilliant talker about football, and he's just come through so much in terms of his own playing career and his own ups and downs in management. But he was just like 
let's not overreact to the first game here, you know, and like don't do not judge an entire like football um story or football um landscape uh on one game. Yeah. And by extension then, I think Dan did a really good piece in the Independent Dan McDonald um, about Liam Carney who's involved in Cork City we can't now overreact to the successes since and the win over Hungary which would have gotten a lot of people talking mm. because we still have um, you know a system in this country that is not fit for purpose because we came from nothing and we're trying to get to there but we're probably somewhere in the middle at the moment but to have all these players and uh, it's you know I'd be very proud that they're all playing in Ireland that's happened kind of entirely by accident because I would think mad people in Britain decided that Brexit was a good idea and the consequence of that is Irish football is in a different place now and just the style and the swagger of the way they play and yeah. um, the young boy from Watford in midfield if I remember his name here um, I and I know that the the oh God, I, I, let me think for his name. Yeah. He was chiefly involved in some of the play, um, and I know a lot of the, you know the highlights were the two Pats lads. But uh, some of the other players in Tigerish in midfield, and it's really exciting. Like, really bright. exciting. Yeah. Um, let me get his name because this is annoying me now. But anyway, yeah, yeah. We'll come back to that, Danny, before the end of the show. Colin's going to look for it as well for us. Uh, but at eight fifty seven am on this Friday morning's OGBM, <clears throat> delighted to welcome to the show the sports broadcaster Shabana Hearn. Shabana, how are things? Hi, good morning. Yeah, very well. How are you? Keeping well, keeping well. Sure, it's Friday. We're, we're buzzing here. Um, oh, we're nothing. <laughs> buzzing for the, for the end of the WSL season. It's uh, fair to say the most exciting WSL season there has been. I remember um, it was about maybe 10 years ago that the trophy had to do the, the U-turn oh, and, and head and head back um, because they don't know where it was going to end up on the final day of the season. But yeah, I think for where the game is, uh, for how things have changed, especially over the last couple of years and what's happened since the Euros and getting into a World Cup, for me, absolutely, this is the, the, the best WSL I can remember. I've loved every minute of it. It's been excellent. Yeah, it's great to see on the final day like different things up for grabs between title mm-hmm. and relegation and, and even Europe Europe as well, uh, although Man City would need a, um, a record win and Arsenal to lose so that, that one's fairly uh, wrapped up. In terms of the title, Shaban, so Chelsea away to Reading, Manchester mm-hmm. United away to Liverpool, um, Chelsea win and they win the league Chelsea draw and they likely win the league because United will have to win by a significant goal margin against Liverpool uh, hard to see Emma Hayes Chelsea dropping points at this, at this point in time uh, if that happens I'll genuinely eat my foot I mean that that would be very very strange if, if Reading are to beat Chelsea at the end of the season but then you know they're clawing their way back you know, it depends on Leicester's result as well um, I don't see it ending any other way unfortunately it looks like Reading are set to, to crash out of the WSL I don't see how Chelsea do not beat them you know Reading have been poor uh, all season there's a lot going on there at the club I believe there's a lot of people losing their jobs there's a lot of change it's been a tough old time for them um, and Emma Hayes has Chelsea come into themselves that little bit more you know towards this, end, this stage of the season they are going all the way for the win and I think they'll do it in style comfortably over Reading at the weekend It's funny watching some of the, the, the press conferences and the build up to this weekend and, and you get the sense that there are mind games being utilised a little bit by both Emma Hayes and Mark Skinner, um, Hayes and Chelsea have been written off all season, but I'm not sure who's been who's been really not, writing uh, off Chelsea. Have uh, I haven't heard anybody write off Chelsea. I mean, <laughs> do that at your peril. I mean, uh, yeah, perhaps a little bit of mind games going on. I think everybody's been so impressed with Manchester United and have given Mark Mark Skinner flowers for that and mm. the job that he's done. He, he deserves the credit, you know, for the job that he's done this season. We'll see how it goes next season. If he loses Alessio Russo, the, the rumour is Unabaji, she's off to Barcelona, going back home. It'll be a different side for next season, but they've achieved a lot. They've had a trip out to Wembley. 
they are were top of the table for the majority of the season and they've made Champions League football. So I think there's a huge amount of credit to Mark Skinner. Also the fact, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe it's the fact that Emma Hayes has been the best for so long and unbeatable. And there's been a number of teams this season just around it and, and causing a bit of a problem and taking silverware. Um, for me, that's that's just a testament to how the league is going. Um, but you no, know, I, I certainly didn't write off Chelsea. Did I? Maybe I did. Maybe I did <laughs> at the beginning. Oh, well, sorry, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't the men's team give her the job over Lampard altogether? Oh my God, stop. I've said this so many times. There's one thing that I would like to happen in my lifetime. There's a number of things, but one of them would be to see Emma Hayes or Serena Wiegmann or another manager of high calibre take a job in the men's game or even get given that opportunity. And I have this debate so often with people that I work with here and and it's like, well, it's just, they would have to go and get experience working with the men somewhere. And I go, why? And they're like, because men are bigger and stronger. And I'm like, aha. Uh-huh. And what about the backroom staff that study all of that, who are with them on that journey? I think the manager has a point to prove when it comes to managing. Um, and, and we've had this debate on and off. And I actually think it'd be incredible one day to see Emma Hayes move to, well, maybe not. I want to keep her in the WSL as well, but I think she could do that job. She could manage England all day long. Would she all like um, Would she like a job like that? Because like we saw in Ireland, like Lisa Fallon um, getting very, very high prominent roles at Galway United and Cork City and so forth. Not quite the manager's job, but like not far off to be fair. So mm. it's it's not it's not like a million miles off. But um, yeah. it will say like with the success that Emma has had, where to next? Well, that's it. I mean, I guess it would be. Abroad, you know, it would it be abroad? Would it be going to manage another team, a Champions League threat inside? She has a little boy, you know, who's probably just starting school at this moment in time. So she has a lot to consider there. However, she has been asked these questions before and she says, why would I leave Chelsea? You know, we are the best football club, but we have won a lot. I think she's obviously got her eyes on the prize of the Champions League. And maybe if she can tick that off her list, maybe the next step would be to go into men's football. But I think she's certainly happy with where she is and she doesn't feel to go to men's, it's better. And and I love her, her approach on that. I guess for me, I want to see one day Knowing that, you know, men's, the men's game will welcome women in there as well because we see male coaches all the time. You know, it's completely mm. normal in women's football. Hope Powell's just gone to work with, um, is it under England, uh, uh, under 19s for England? Mm. That'll be interesting to see how that transpires. But Emma Hayes, I think, could do a job. Vigman could do a job any day of the week in the, in the men's game. Yeah. We just haven't seen it, have we? So nobody knows what to expect or we don't give the opportunity because we haven't seen it yet. If you can't see it, you can't be it until that changes. Well, there's going to have to be somebody to do it first, right? Yeah, 100%. And uh, Emma Hayes being linked to Wimbledon a couple of years ago and, and she mm. refused those offers. She, I think at the time, said she'd never take a lower team, which, yeah. I mean, is fair from, yeah. from her perspective considering what she's achieved. Um, mm. I think you mentioned Ona Batier there. She was on the Koi gig pod with, with herself and off the ball this week. Um, not giving too much away about her future, but it appears, Shaban, that she's off to Barcelona. That is a bit of a blow considering... Mark Skinner and Manchester United are, I guess, trying to push on next season even further. But but that's a that's a blow if she departs to Barca. Oh yeah, because she is she's gravy. I mean, she's absolutely brilliant um, and has had a brilliant season and has been key to where they've been this season. Um, it's my understanding that she has agreed personal terms with Barcelona, um, but nothing has been signed as of yet. Um, but I also believe that a number of WSL clubs could be interested in it as well. Um, would. Would it be the case that she stays here uh, and we get a bit of a shock when it comes to to the summer transfer window? Uh, from what I understand, she has agreed those personal terms, but anything's possible, especially with the WSL just now. We know the money's getting put into it now. 
we know things have changed at Arsenal with Rafa Souza departure as well. Perhaps they could come in. I, I, I wouldn't quite write her off out, out of this country and out of this league yet. Um, uh, Rusha as well Rusha Little John of course leaving, uh, leaving Aston Villa I know she announced it on your own YouTube channel as well uh, so a sad moment for, for her but I guess even listen to her comments as well she has very firmly and I focused on, on the World Cup and even in recent weeks you know the the fear of getting injured for any player at this point yeah. is so high that, that you just can't take that risk and clearly that's on Rusha's mind mm, Absolutely I mean Rusha's had more clubs than Tiger Woods. You know, <laughs> she she has frequented this league for a long time and has been around for for quite some time. And we're turning 33 in the summer. And she's aware that in her when Rusha's fit, she's like, I'm the fittest. You know, I, I'm I'm right up there. But when my body doesn't let me do it, it's so frustrating. All footballers, all, all athletes can relate to that. Um, and she when she knew that she wasn't getting re-signed by Villa, she had a conversation with Vera and said, look, I don't want to jeopardise anything. You know, she's got, she's made a glass at this moment in time. She wants to be at the World Cup. She wants to represent Ireland. She's so focused on that. She, she thinks, well, if you put your body on the line at Aston Villa um, and, you know, there's a, a niggle and an injury or a knock and that puts her out of Vera's Vera Pau squad, then, then that would be a huge issue for her. So I think it's quite a mature decision to make. And I think that's the thing. We'll talk about the number of players depart, depart in their clubs in a second, but th- there's a senior experienced level of, of players that are now being let go. Mm. And Rusha will be one of them. And I get it. She's turning 33. They're probably looking for 23-year-olds. Um, she, she's had her fun. You know, she's had her run at these clubs. And I think, yeah, go for it. You know, focus, work with Vera, work with the Ireland squad, uh, work with the, the management and the staff there and make sure your body's the best it can be for getting to that World Cup and, and don't jeopardise that. It hurts. I mean, I, I think I hurt for her more than she hurts. She's quite mature about it. She goes, this is football, you know, I'm, and, you know, I've not been re-signed and, and that's the way it goes. I'm okay with it. For me, I think it's just more like, oh, you know, mm. what does that mean? What's next? And at this age, it's tough. It's tough, right, to get another club. Yeah, for sure. And uh, look, I guess, look, you, you don't know how often World Cups come around, certainly towards the late, t- latter end of your career, so you've got to look after yourself yeah. and, and, and jump on that opportunity when you get it. You mentioned the number of players, Shaban leaving clubs, I guess, from an Irish perspective. Yesterday we were watching the names come in, Megan uh, Connolly and Megan Walsh leaving Brighton, Megan Campbell to leave in Liverpool. So it's a Megan ma- mass, Yeah, mass Megan exit. Magic of Megan, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I actually am very surprised at Megan Connolly um, and Megan Campbell because um, they've been part of those sides for well, Liverpool and Brighton for quite some time. Going through the list of players who have left Brighton or have been released from Brighton, Megan Connolly, Megan Walsh, uh, Victoria Williams, Dan Carter, Keely Green, the experience is... That's four. That's four hundred appearances between them. Mm. You know, all, all, all kind of released from their duties. Players who have been at that club for quite some time. Victoria Williams. I won't look at Brighton the same way. You know, I saw her last night in award ceremony, and I thought, wow, like again, there's. The, the, it's just that senior age. I don't know if a number of clubs now are looking and going, okay, we want to explore new opportunities. We've got access now to the younger players coming through. Is there a longevity thing? Are they looking at contracts differently? Um, and I do think a number of senior players are over the age of, say, 26 will be will be threatened if they're out of their contracts uh, this time of the year. Yeah, it's a nervy one for, for a lot of players mm-hmm. waiting on contracts and, and decisions and, and trying to decipher where their, their next move is going to be. There's also a big... Um, uh, I guess a sad moment for football this weekend. Izzy Christensen announcing uh, her retirement. So a bit of a legend with Leon, of course. Um, but with uh, with Everton, her final game is going to be against City at the weekend. She's already won WSL title and FA Cup, two FA WSL Continental Cups as well. 
um, not to mention the league and Champions League she won with Leon. so um, a, a sad moment for, for football but what a, what a servant Izzy Christian has been Absolutely. I mean, an outstanding footballer who's been around and seen it all and been part of that change through the years as well and led by example. Um, I'm sure she'll get a great send off. The thing is about Izzy Christensen here, I feel that I'm starting to see her more on the TV as a pundit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the thing. There's opportunities now for, for women um, of a senior age, you know, coming out of football, uh, going into coaching roles, getting media roles, talking on the men's game, talking on the women's game, hosting, um, offering their contributions. And, and I think Izzy Christensen will still be be a big part of that we're still going to see and hear a lot of her um, and, and she deserves that she's very very good and she deserves to, to get that opportunity now that she's retiring from football that's been a huge thing Siobhan has in recent years mm. the amount of female pundits and um, what's the ridiculous what's the response what's the response being in the, in the women's game to that because it, it is a game changer yeah, I mean, that's total sarcasm from my part there. Yeah. When, when, when you go through the comments, I'm like, oh my goodness, that people genuinely still have the approaches. Why is this woman talking about football yeah. get back in the kitchen? And I'm like, mate, what, what is why wrong do, with Why you? don't you get off your laptop, maybe? Yeah, um, I know, and, and I'm up to date with my ironing and I can still sit here talking <laughs> to you guys about football this morning. It's incredible. Um, but yeah, no, there's been a huge change for that. We're seeing it often. I, I embrace it. Any Luca, I was at an award ceremony last night the first women's football award ceremony and um, it was Jamie Carricker and Ennio Luco uh, hosting it and I think Ennio's a big part of that she's been part of working on the men's side of football for a long long time but still champions the women's game um, and again it works well together you know it's absolutely perfect for me what was interesting last night we were celebrating women in football and Harry Kane and Declan Rice were there to pick up their men's kind of champion champion of women's football award and everyone in the room got up to take pictures of them. Alessia Russo was sitting in front of me and I was like sneakily trying to take pictures of her. And I thought, what are we celebrating here? Like, mm. can we not mm. enjoy this moment? And instead it's like, oh, there's two men who are world beaters at football. Let's take more pictures of them and let's give them the, the round of applause of the night. And I was kind of sitting there thinking to myself, should it not be the women that we're celebrating mm. here tonight? That was just my observation coming away with it. But um, yeah, we're seeing that change. Um, Izzy Christensen's one of them more recently. Um, Farrah Williams, for me, was the was the OG at doing that, but she's very much so still invested in the women's game, and we see her a lot on BBC with Alex Scott. Um, but yeah, I mean, long may that continue. You know, I, I want to see Rusha. Speaking about Rusha, I think she offers so much when she's in that role. And I love that she's herself, you know, and she she can have a bit of crack about it um, and just be completely normal and experienced at the same time and have good fun. And I want to see more of that when it comes to to commentaries and punditry as well. Um, But the women deserve all of that opportunity and, and to be there, you know, just to be there and be part of that. Why not? Did you say it was the first of those award ceremonies last night, Chaban? It was the inaugural, yeah, Women's Football Awards, yeah, last night. Took their time getting there, didn't they, Jesus? I know, we're 2023, this is is fantastic. Um, (laughs) I mean, one of the the women I was sitting with last night, Vicky Gomersall, she works at Sky Sports News, you'll you'll know her, and she actually said, this is actually outrageous. Like, this is 2023, and we've decided now it's time for a Women's Football Awards. And Mm. I thought, yeah, yeah, that as well, you know, that as well. But we're there now, it's still a bit of a hurdle weirdly even though women in football is growing and the the opportunities are there but sometimes it still does still does feel a little bit like it's a man's world Mm. a wee bit but that's fine i like men too (laughs) (laughs) well the only positive thing i guess is that you know if you if you look at where the wsl and women's football generally and the way we talk about it has come in the last five or ten years 
you know, even the next even five, the ten years. Even the last two years, yeah. And but it's going to it's going to exponentially, yeah, keep going up. We the, the challenge we have in Ireland, Shaban, is like to. This is just an extension of the men's game, but it's obviously more pronounced. Keep our best women playing in Ireland as long as we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's it. You want to grow the league, don't you? Domestically, you want all those best players in your country representing that league. That is what you want, and it. I also feel it with Scotland a little bit as well. Mm. We've seen this shift in Scotland, especially coming into the to the end of the Scottish season, and and the eyes that have come on it, and the interest that have come on it, the, the difference that it makes. You know, um, you guys are doing a great job. You've got Katie McCabe and a number of Irish international stars, like who who are there representing and growing the game, mm. and who are absolutely excellent and involve everybody around them and soak it all up. I've watched that journey. I've watched that rise. So I only see it going one way. You need good people setting by example and leading the way and, and the rest will follow. And I think you will see that change soon. I hope I hope that happens. I got to ask you before you go, what is the origin of your first name? It's the first time I've ever come across <laughs> Shaban. It's like reminds me of like Autobahn, Siobhan. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Do you know what the amount of people last night just still call me Siobhan and I find myself saying, yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Shaban, I, I don't know. My mum and dad must have been playing Drunken Scrabble when the name does, to be honest. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's. I want to say it's she she been, which is a she, yeah. oh, she been yeah. is an, an Irish it, word. It is. Um, and uh, Siobhan, and they went for Shaban. But again, I've never met another Shaban. I'm half Irish. I was an Irish dancer for 22 years. And of all the competitions I went to, never met another Shaban. So uh, I'll, I'll take make... it. I'm, I'm, I'm the OG. What's, the, what's the, the poster in the background there, Shaban? Is that a basketball match? Yeah, that's Michael match. Jordan's last shot for the Bulls. Oh, um, yes. Yeah, look at all the gutted faces in the background. It is, uh, you've seen The Last Dance? Oh, um, of course, of course. Yeah, you seen it, the it, air movie, Siobhan? The, the air movie on the whole haven't thing? Haven't seen it. Haven't yeah, seen it yet. It's, it's on my list. Yeah, yeah no, I, I'm looking forward to that. My husband actually picked this picture and there's some brilliant sporting events um, where they, what they do is they take the individual and then have the crowd in the background in black and white. There's the brilliant one of Tiger Woods getting that oh, yeah. that, um, that, that shot at the, the Masters and everybody then walking down the, the kind of green behind him. I'd like to get that one next. And then hopefully... One of maybe Russia, Republic of Ireland oh, in the yeah. summer. You know that would be great. Her, it? her lifting the World <laughs> Cup in colour and everyone else in the background in, in, in black and white. I know we can dream, but listen, uh, Shaban, brilliant stuff as always. Always enjoy the chats. Thanks, Millie, for hopping on. Thanks for having me. Have a good Friday and a good weekend. You too, you too. Football broadcaster Shabana Hearn there. She uh, puts you in good form. Just that's ah, yeah. infectious. Uh, gets you in the mood for the weekend. 100%. A great um, Friday guest. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, of course you're you're. Wasn't for tomorrow now. What'll, what'll, will you be kind of struggling to sleep tonight, kind of early, early uh, to bed? No, I'd, 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 usually I'd, I'm, I'm experienced now. I'm, I'm captain of the team, Johnny, so you know, I'll, yeah. sleep, I'll sleep fine. Yeah, the WhatsApp group will be hopping this evening with, it already is hopping with different bits of advice, nutrition advice, and get the water on board today. Cause it's going to be a hot, hot enough weekend, I think, mm. so you need the fluids on board for, for a match like that, I think. Where are you um, playing, centre mid? No, I'll be, I'll be up front. Up front? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be up front. Hopefully banging the goal or two. That's the plan, mm. anyway. If, if I start, if start if yeah start. if I start it's call him in your ear there yeah he's he, like one of these managers just keeping you in check I'd be causing a strop now if I didn't start yeah. I'd walk out of the dressing room jump, throw the armband on the wall <laughs> no I wouldn't do that of course I'd be very mature about the whole thing um, the best, may the best team start and may the best team win yeah 
Um, so appreciate that good message, Johnny. But looking forward to it. There we for go. Sure. Um, yeah. Before we uh, get to Alan Quillen, who is standing by very uh, shortly, nine fifteen a.m. on this Friday morning's OTB AM, we want to bring you a clip from the latest episode of the Hurling Pod, where Paul Murphy, James Skehel, and Will discussed Westmead's astonishing comeback against Wexford. The Hurling Pod with Boardgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship and the Tour Series taking place in Croke Park. Here are some highlights on the OTB Podcast Network for you today. Adam Pope, <coughs> LOI Match Day, and Dr. Kate Kirby and Pat Daly continuing the. Rage GA debate with Nathan last night. You can follow OTB across social and subscribe <coughs> to the OTB Podcast Network. My voice is absolutely gone, <coughs> but we'll get there after the ads. Alan Quinlan live from South Africa for the URC final. Back in a sec. You're listening to OTB AM. It's approaching 9.19am on this Friday morning's OTBM and it's Cape Town calling because we're heading over to South Africa now ahead of the URC final between the Stormers and Munster which takes place tomorrow half past five at the DHL Stadium in Cape Town. Alan Quinlan, good morning, how are things? Morning lads, all good. Shane, thanks. Any crack over there? I heard it was pelting rain yesterday. Yeah, it was lashing rain all day. Um, it didn't... Um in fairness to Munster fans, made, made a good decision. They stayed in out of the rain all day in the pubs here in Cape Town. So, um, I'm not sure that was that was impacted it. by the rain. I'd say that would have been the plan regardless. <laughs> well, uh, well, I met one man uh, from Abbey Field, uh, Dan O'Connor, and he said he rang his wife and she said, be very careful, you, you stay in out of that rain. He said, no problem. So he stayed in the pub for the whole day. <laughs> Just follow uh, the advice. Yeah, what's yeah, what's, what's so, it like actually, Quinny, Cape Town? Um, it's lovely. It's obviously culturally very different, Johnny. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of challenges here. Um, you know, when you drive from the airport in, into the city, um, you see all the townships and both sides and the way in. And then you get into the city, obviously, and, and you know, you go to Camps Bay or, or one of these places and you see a different way of life and a different um level from the poverty that you see on the way in from the airport but it's beautiful you know uh, Cape Town is a beautiful place South Africa is a lovely place I've been here many times and uh, you know well documented challenges here for, for them and um, but it's a beautiful place to visit and there's so many tourists come here for obvious reasons going safaris all that stuff but Cape Town is beautiful um, so many things to see here as well Many Munster fans made the trip it's a, it's a 55,000 record sellout as mm-hmm. I understand it but uh, have many travelled over? Well, there's talks of 5,000. I, I don't know if that's going to materialise, but, um, you know, that was being reported during the week, but um, kind of every corner or area you go to, you see Munster jerseys floating around. And they're donning the colours. The hotel was rocking here last night. There was um, lots of them celebrating um, and, or you know, enjoying themselves, I should say, not celebrating. Just yet. Um, yeah, but there's there's talks of a lot of Munster fans um, travelling. There's there's obviously travel groups here, organised travel groups, and then there's people I suppose who've come and uh, come themselves. And you know, I met a couple of people from America last night, uh, expats who who travel from the states. There's people from you know Dubai, uh, Abu Dhabi, all that kind of stuff. So you're meeting people from everywhere here. But I don't know the exact numbers, but they'll they'll definitely try and make themselves heard. They're going to be totally outnumbered, obviously. There's going to be over 50,000 Stormers fans here, and uh, it's a wonderful stadium. The big concern is the pitch, really, mm. and the South Africans will say that themselves. And it rained all day yesterday, constant. Um, so that's going to make it even more challenging for, for the surface and the pitch. 
Yeah, certainly going to add an extra element to the, to the whole thing for sure. Like Munster looking for the first success in the URC in, in 12 years. Um, I mean, if they win at the weekend, Quinny, if you'd said at the start of the year Leinster would finish with no silverware and Munster would, would get some, I mean, if you'd have ripped their arm off. It's it's really unthinkable, Shane, um, because, and that's basically down to the start, you know, Munster started a campaign away to Cardiff. They lost, they had to go back the, the week after, this is back in September, and and they lost to the Dragons. So two games in, there are two losses. Um, then they beat Zebra at home, didn't get a bonus point win, underwhelming performance, then lost to Connacht, beat the Bulls, and then lost to Leinster and Ulster. So in the first five games, you'd, you'd five losses out of seven matches. So um, you wouldn't be that optimistic with that sort of situation in any sport if you lose five of your first league games uh, out of seven. So, you know, it's it's... It really is credit to, you know, you've got to give them a lot of credit from probably November. They went on a great run right up to the end of March when Glasgow kind of shocked them at home and beat them convincingly at home and, and really kind of took away, um, there was a possibility that they were going to take away a, a situation where they could make the playoffs. Um, at that stage, you were thinking top four, home, quarterfinal, uh, being in Europe, all that stuff. And then, you had that daunting task of going to South Africa in, in round 17 and 18. So it wasn't looking good at around that time, the end of March. Uh, but they went to South Africa and they were they were brilliant. They got a brilliant win against the Stormers, a draw against the Sharks. Um, then they, you know, they obviously went to Glasgow and and to Dublin to beat Leinster. So they've shown a lot of character. They've shown a lot of improvement from the start of the season. There was mitigation around the start, I suppose. They had a lot of players away and that emerging Ireland tour in South Africa. Very, very slow start. New coaches, new game plan, all that kind of stuff. But nobody would have expected this. And that's that's probably the reality. So they find themselves in a final. Um, they've lost three finals since 2011. Um, to Glasgow in 2015. Um, the Scarlets 2017. And, and to Leinster in 2021. So, they, And I suppose there's plenty of semi-finals in there as well. So they've, they've been knocking on the door a few times, but haven't got over the line. Mm. And... Um, this is going to be a really tough task, and that's that's just a reality. You're so far away from home, playing against the champions, lots of Springboks in their team. Team, but they've they've shown a little bit of grit and determination, quality in the last week, uh, a couple of weeks that ha- would give you positive signs going into this final. The influence of Manny Libak will be fairly uh, crucial for for Munster to nullify Quinny. I mean, he he really is their their golden boy for the Stormers. Um, uh, going to be a tough task to stop him but I, I suppose if you can I guess thwart his influence on the game to some degree Munster will have a, a serious chance of winning Yeah well if he gets time and space and um, he's very very talented I think um, nobody wanted him a couple of years ago Stormer signed him um, up and down performances at times over the last number of years but he's undoubted quality you know he's he's a, he's a running fly half who can step um, he's so quick. He's such a danger at all times, and I think you saw that in the in the in the semi final win against the Connacht, the Connacht a couple of weeks ago, where the Stormers kind of struck from deep, and you know they didn't have a lot of possession that game. Amazingly, Connacht had seventy percent possession and and sixty five sixty six percent territory. So, kind of when you look at the stats of possession and territory, you think Connacht should have, um, you know been closer um, and they were at, at stages in the game but the Stormers can really hurt you with uh, 
you know, in those early phases, if you like, of attack. And Libok is central to that. You know, if he if he if he's in the in in flow, he can be very very dangerous. So he's someone wants to be very aware of. But there's many players in this team. Um, you know, they've a lot of quality, a lot of power, and they're they've incredible athleticism. So they're they're big physical players who can step. But they're an ambitious team as well. The Stormers they throw the ball around a little bit. So um, they're you know top quality side who, like any South African side, have that power and strength up front. So. If Libok gets good quality ball, he can really, really hurt you. I think he would have been disappointed a few weeks ago. He missed kicks, a couple of kicks um, in that game against Munster, which were crucial in the end. Um, but if he gets time and space, he can really hurt teams. It's funny, I was reading um, quotes from Bernard Jackman yesterday, and he was very much making the case for Munster. Like he said, if Munster defend as they have recently, they'll be very, very tough to beat. He said the Stormers are incredibly loose, they give you opportunities and he, he described them as a little bit wild as well so there are certainly aspects of, of the Stormers, albeit as you say they were impressive against Connacht, but there are elements to their game that you can really get at Yeah, well look, and, and what Bernard is saying there is is, is correct I think um, if you lose those kind of collisions early on in the first couple of phases, well they get in behind you and then that athleticism and X factor can, can really tell and they finish you off and score tries if you're strong and resilient and, and connected in defence um, and frustrate him a little bit, well, that's going to be the key for Munster. So def- defensively, it is really, really important that Munster, you know, don't shoot out of the line. They they back themselves to stay connected. Uh, in that game in the semi-final, when Connacht kicked up field, very fragmented line, uh, defensive line coming up, you know, one-on-one situations where these guys can just step you and run past you. Damien Willem said a full-back is... You know, he'd rather he'd rather run than kick, and he'll step you. So if they get through, then the reaction is very quick, and their anticipation around that. So that's what they want to do, of course. Um, so Munster have got to be disciplined and controlled, and in, in, in when they kick and and where they kick. But I think the stats show that Munster are very much a possession-based team, and they've been pretty good, really good this se- season. In, in um, you know, they're top uh, top number of rocks in the league. So they hold on to the ball for long periods. So they're going to, you know, and they did that a couple of weeks ago. Sometimes you can say all these things, Shane, and it doesn't pan out that way. I think mm-hmm. the Stormers will have looked at Munster and they'll try and figure out ways of getting the ball back off them, smashing them probably when they carry and stuff like that. But for Munster, it's very much a case of, you know, you can overanalyze and look at the opposition, but I think they'd be very conscious of loose kicking and, you know, their wingers come in off, off, off scrums and lineouts. And if you don't make that first up tackle, if they get in behind you or get an offload, well, they cause all sorts of problems. And that's what they did against Connacht because, you know, a team with 29% possession in a game scored six tries. You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, really. So that would indicate that with limited possession, they can really hurt you. So, of course, Munster have got to be disciplined. And if they do that, yeah, they can frustrate them. And they've got to stay in the game here because... I think the Stormers will really think that, yeah, they had one off day a couple of weeks ago and, you know, Munster are not good enough to be here or, or mixing it with them. I would think um, they, they really think that, um, you know, they are a very good side. There's no doubt about it. They're the champions and they have a perfect situation of a home, a home final with 50,000 people cheering them on. Mm, we saw that last week, the home, fi- home final doesn't always yeah. <laughs> go in favour of the home team. Yeah. Um, 
it's mad to think like some of the tickets were less than four euro, which like wouldn't get you half a burger in the Aviva Stadium. Like literally, wouldn't get you half a burger. And you compare it, but just how big would it be for Munster's development if they were to win this, Quinny? Oh, it's, it's it's pretty obvious, Johnny. Um, it would be massive, um, given you know where where they've been for the last number of years and the frustration from Munster fans and a couple of um, seasons where you think you're back on track and you're you're getting there. Uh, probably under you know Rassi Erasmus and Jack Nienenberg, getting to that final in 2017, getting to Europe, being cup semi-final, albeit they got well beaten by Saracens in that semi-final in Europe that year, but and well beaten in the final by the Scarlets, you, you kind of get sense a sense that they're on the right track and that there's players coming through and maybe you know a little bit adding a few players here and there along the way and that you're going to stay at that level where you're going to be getting to at least semi-finals or playoffs and been in the knockout stages of Europe. So it's been topsy-turvy the last couple of years. Fair bit of frustration. Um, but I think since Graham Rountree's come in, I think he's steadied the ship. He's got a great connection with the fans again. He's very open and honest in his interviews. And I know from, you know, if you interviewed Graham Rountree this morning here, he'd be quite relaxed about, you know, wouldn't be giving you coaches speak. He's very honest, and I think he he comes out after games if they haven't played well, and he he kind of takes ownership of that. And uh, I like that about him. And um, but look, the fans and that whole connection isn't going to bring you success. You've got to bring quality through. There is some young players that that give you hope for optimism that they're coming through. There's certain areas that they're shortened. They need more depth in the front row. Uh, they need more guys on the Irish team. Um, you know, it's quite obvious if you the more players you have playing nationally, the stronger you are provincially. And and so I think they're on the right track. And there's there's certainly a different feel that, look, they could. It's very easy. The Stormers could blow them away tomorrow. Mm. It's unlikely. I think Munster have a great chance. But they're that kind of a side that could suddenly kind of make all that optimism evaporate <laughs> because they're, they're, they've such a balanced squad. They have way more depth. They've way more internationals, current internationals. So, but I think they're on the right track, Johnny. It's a really good question. I think a lot of Munster fans would ask that question if I meet them. Um, you have young players that are coming through. Jack Crowley, you know, John Hodnett, um, Alex Kendellum, you know, these guys, Calvin Nash and Shane Daly have been really stepped up this year, shown their quality. Um, Edwin Adogbo has come through this year. He's only 19. There's, there's the two guys around the Munster under 20s. Ruan Quinn. Um, so look, there's there is optimism, but there's more quality needed, and I think they're enjoying it. I think John Klein spoke this week that in his seven years here, he thinks they're the tightest knit group, <laughs> and he's really enjoyed it. So that stuff helps. Um, you've got to add more quality, but winning a trophy tomorrow would it would give them a huge lift internally to say, well, look, this is the template. This is where we can get to. Um, They've worked incredibly hard to kind of turn their season around from the start, you know, and I, I give them, they get, deserve massive credit for that. Um, and nobody thought they were going to be in a final. So it would be unbelievable if they were to win it. Um, it's going to be a mountain to climb from. But, you know, I think they will believe, and they've shown us in recent weeks that they have a bit of steel about them. And, and that's what I like, and that's what the Munster faithful or supporters want they want to see that passion, drive and determination. And they've been incredibly brave this year, the way they played. So for Mike Prendergast to come in and, and do the job he's done, he's, he's been brilliant. Dennis Laney, Andy Kiriakou with the forwards. Um, so they've, they've 
they've made a great impact on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, they need more quality through, and obviously there's a level there that you consistently need to be good at. So um, no matter what happens tomorrow, I think it's it's really imperative that they get a good pre-season and uh, they hit the ground running because you know you don't want another situation where you're you're struggling at the start of the season again. Yeah, Nash, you mentioned return from injury along with uh, Fekatoa and Steinman and Murray, so some big guns back. Score prediction, Quinny? Oh, it's a tough one, Shane. Mm. Um, Putting you know, on the spot. I do. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I can't give you a score <laughs> prediction. But I think I really part of me really believes they have a great chance and that they are going to. I just hope they bring their best performance. It still may not be good enough. Um, and that they play and they show that bravery. I think it's really difficult to run they've had, you know, being away from home in South Africa for those two games, then going away to Glasgow, then going away to to Dublin. Um, they've got great results and they've really turned what could have been a, a very disappointing end to the season into a, a massively positive one. I love the fact that John Klein said this week, this isn't bonus territory. We want to win. Mm. You know, I always talk, I talk about that in the last few weeks. Bonus territory is kind of accepting, yeah, well, we've got here, sure, and it's okay if we lose. So I like that out of him. He's been brilliant from this season. Um, so I don't know. I think I think Munster can do it for sure. Um, but there's part of me thinking the Stormers are maybe just spoil the party a little bit for, for the Munster fans that have travelled. Um, but either way, uh, they've done brilliant to get to this position. Yeah, should be a cracking game regardless. <laughs> Enjoy the match, Quinny. Thanks a million. Cheers, lad. Thanks. Great stuff. Ali Quinlan on the line there from Cape Town ahead of that uh, game tomorrow, half past five at the DHL Stadium. Monster against Stormers in the URC final. Uh, Johnny, thanks a million. Thanks, Shane. And best, best of luck tomorrow. We'll thanks, genuinely be keeping uh, tabs. Um, your first cup final, is it? First cup final this season, yeah, yeah. We've, we lost three, three semi-finals, so it's good okay. to get a final and, and hopefully get over the line and get a bit of silverware. be nice. I should start writing a speech. Yeah, I mean, I it'll be all over the dressing room. Is it, who are you playing glass? Bas La Villa. Yeah, I know, uh, they'd be heavy favourites, to be fair. Are they? So, uh, well, they'd be favourites. Well, I'm going to say that now anyway and build them up. Yeah. But it should be a good game regardless. Oh, yeah. Will you give bit. an inspirational speech beforehand? <clears throat> I'll say a few words, yeah. Mm. Maybe drop something into the WhatsApp group tonight. Mm. Hopefully my voice is improved by then. Mm. Um, but appreciate the, the good luck, Masters. Cheers, Johnny, for everything on the show this uh, this, uh, this morning. I was about to say this afternoon. Um, O2B AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. <coughs> there we go. On Monday's show. Jerry and myself back with the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You're already horse and you haven't even already given horse. Speech, I haven't yeah. done the weekend. Uh, the URC final reaction, of course. Sarah O'Donovan and Anthony Moyles talking the weekend's GA. Uh, the final day of the Premier League and WSL as well. It's going to be a busy performance rankings and busy show on Monday in general. Right now, John Giles. Have a fabulous Friday. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.